Hello guys, welcome. Episode 14, the 831 podcast. Um, thank you very much for joining. It's been, I've been trying to get these out a little bit more frequently and I think I have a couple more lined up for this week. So hopefully this will be a good month and we'll get a few out there. Um, not really much else to report other than that, basically. Just, I am trying to put them out. Thanks everybody for listening. The last two, Brad Scott and Paul Reed, have both had great responses and lots of people do send me little messages to say they really enjoyed it how well the guys came across and stuff so i really enjoyed doing them um and i'm glad that everybody enjoyed them this one um has been in a little bit in the wild coming and i'm glad really because i met jack about three years or so ago he did a talk and as soon as I heard him speaking, I realised I wanted to know more about his story. But now he's got another three years. He's a bit older. He's he's just been through some big competitions. And I've flown with him a lot. Previously, I hadn't. I've flown with him a lot now. And I consider him a really good friend now, as well as just a pilot. So it's nice that it's taken this long to come about. And we have common ground areas where we can talk to each other. We know each other a bit more personal. So I really enjoyed doing this podcast. And I think... For Jack being 20 years old and where he is in his sport, it's a great opportunity for him to put himself out there and hopefully you guys can appreciate the work someone like Jack is putting together all the time for the sport. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. Jack's very intelligent, he's funny and it was a great podcast so you should really enjoy it. I really enjoyed it so hopefully you will also. Um, Sponsorship... As always, we're sponsored by Trojan Nutrition. They've been my sponsors for life. So Trojan Nutrition, Trojan Fitness Bristol. Contact those guys at any supplement needs that you need. If they can't, if they don't have it, they will source it and they'll look after you. Matty or Julie down there will take care of everything you need. Um, and Good Clear English sponsored me for the X pair. So a big shout out to Andrew. He's always going to be a, a sponsor. Obviously, as always, I like to thank Skywalk and stuff. And because this is a paragliding podcast, I think it's vital that I mention Skywalk paragliders in this episode. Um, the guys there have really been great for me the last couple of years. And it's been great working alongside them. So hopefully that's a relationship that will continue to grow. So, yeah, that's basically the intro. As I say, I will try and get some more done for you ASAP. Hopefully this week we will have another one at least coming out. So stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, please all enjoy. And I hope you like listening to Jack Pimbler. Okay, so here we are, Jack Pimbler. Thank you very much for joining me, Jack. This is a uh, we've been talking about it for a, what, a little while now since the first time I met Too you. Long. Yeah, so but I think it's um, you know it, it just means you've got more stuff to talk about. We've got more stuff to talk about. We know each other a lot better than when we first met. So yeah, thanks for coming on. No, thank you very much for having me. It's uh, really interesting to come on. I think is it now four years? Might probably three, three or four years. Yeah, three or four years from now. Definitely. So since I think we met. Back end of 2016, didn't we? Oh, so it's only three years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah so it was a lot longer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have that effect on people to, to be around. <laughs> yeah, really. that's the uh, effect I give people. Time seems to drag a little bit. But. <laughs> so what have you been up to? 
Oh God, just this season's been mega. Um, really successful season for me. Very long, arduous. Um, so from January, I was out in Tenerife. Uh, was from there back end of December until 20th of January. Um, was out training on my acro gliders. Uh, was out surfing, kind of doing a little bit of everything. Um, and then came back, winter depression, straight into college, uh, finishing my HNC in electronics. And then kind of by the time it rolls around, I'm in El Hierro and the season starts again, really. So it was just a bit of a hectic season. Um, anything that did go wrong or could go wrong did go wrong. And um, despite my flying going really well, there was just loads of mayhem. Uh, crashed a car, destroyed like five phones, <laughs> destroyed a GoPro. Um, pretty much anything that you could think of did go wrong. So it was just one of them. At the end of the day, on paper, it looked like it was a good season, but also was a little bit testing at times and tiring really yeah but then you're young so I think you're probably best getting those testing seasons testing times over and done with yeah. and use that to work on for your downtime that must be like a the winter going from being active all for summer to going and sitting in a classroom and doing electronics must be so like for me and I know for me like when I did my degree a couple of years ago and I'd just be sat there, the clouds would be outside, they'd look good, I think it's perfectly flowable. And then eventually, did my foundation, I was like, fuck this, like, I, can't, I, I can't miss everything to sit in here, yeah. getting an education that I'm not going to use. You no, know. Exactly. D- different for you, probably, because you're, you're, you're a lot younger, so you have a lot of time to use what you learn yeah. as a career, you know? As for me, I've, gone, I've come too far, and I was like, I'm never going to now apply computing and IT yeah. into my life and use it as my career so I sat in the class and I'm like yeah fuck this like I remember they, uh, there was a day they bought um, they bought some people in from like blue chip companies and they're like oh yeah so today we're going to get you're going to go in and have little interviews with these places and then it's perspective for getting a job at these big companies yeah. <clears throat> so is there anyone who anybody's interested in really sitting there and sort of I was like John I might as well go home like I don't I've got no interest in this he's like don't you want to go in and talk to you? He's like, no. He's like, yeah, well, these are like blue top level blue chip companies in London. So that's what they do. They hire from universities like this. I'm like, I'm never going to work for these people. Like, if they offered me a hundred grand a year, it wouldn't be enough for me to say, yeah, I'll commit to working in an office for you. Yeah. Like, it's not, that's not what I'm here for. I'm here because I want to learn computer programming and web design so that I can be in a drop zone somewhere or on the side of a hill somewhere yeah, yeah. coding on like a little mini laptop or on a tablet yeah. and then the weather comes good and I can jump in my pod and go flying you know yeah, that's exactly. the career I was looking for so for you going from having a summer that you have and have done over the last years to go and sit in a classroom must be hard work yeah do you know how I kind of um, put it especially to other people it's almost like I have alter egos so for me because almost my personality my lifestyle um, from kind of the person that paraglides travels all summer to the person that sits in a classroom and studies and doesn't go out and you know you know me I'm not a very social person in terms of that kind of scene doesn't party and whatever um, it is really like two different people for me so I'll I'll come in I'll study I'm probably I'm only in two days a week but then I got another three days that I'll study as well over that um, I'm really into my maths um, so it is really different and especially when you're there for the first two months and you're like 
slowly putting pieces together because for the last three months all I did was pull in left break and pull a right break you know yeah, yeah. Um, so it is really difficult but at the end of the day all it boils down to is the fact that because I'm making a living now or scraping a living rather from paragliding and I can kind of be able to fly um, as well as study it makes absolute sense to go and study now because in reality when I can make a passive income and not have to do a 9 to 5 job it's going to be the easiest now for me to study than it ever will be in my life Yeah. because there's other students that are struggling to live on their student loans get a part time job where they're in a bar and it's really hard for them whereas for me passive income, sponsorship here and there I can still study and really not miss too much flying I could go and fly more in places like the Canaries but you know, at the end of the day um, when I was 12 years old I wanted to be an ROV engineer yep. so I wanted to go into robotics and be offshore um, as you know my dad works offshore um, and I wanted to follow in his footsteps so that was what I was going to do and when I was 16 I was actually going to be on an apprenticeship um, but then my kind of mum persuaded me not to go because she knew that's not the route I wanted to follow really yeah. and I'm just keeping up with the education side of things so when paragliding if paragliding doesn't become an option anymore or, you know, whatever happens, I've still got a backup, and I think that's really important. Yeah, I agree. Um, obviously, uh, it, it sounds patronising to keep uh, mentioning your age, but from someone, you know, I'm, I'm 35, you're 19 years old, um, 19, 20, 20, or 20 years old, I'm 35, I can only look back from a 16-year professional sportsman career, you know? Like, yeah. I've, I've been a professional athlete for 16 years, and I chased that dream I followed the 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 passion of professional MMA and I was sort of all eggs in one basket but I am that sort of all eggs in one basket kind of guy so yeah I can look back and I can think well maybe it's good to have something to fall back on now that I have the business with my brother I look at him and I see how how well he can We'll go into a project and he'll just look at it and he sees the whole building, how it should be, what to take down, what the regulations are for this, how a lintel has to go in there, what the planning consent should be. Yeah. So for me, I think now I'm at a point where I realised, shit, I could have invested. So that's not to say I regret anything I've done. I loved like the time that I've had just travelling around doing everything. But I can see now that if I would have invested that time early on in, in my career, then coming at it now when I'm like 35 looking towards the end of a fight career it would have paid dividends so for someone like yourself the cliche of you know like sticking school and get yeah. like it, it couldn't be more true I mean I, I remember when we were in uh, St Andre and uh, Russ was saying like Russ was even thinking of looking at yeah. um, uh, plumbing was it plumbing or? Uh, electrics or plumbing electrics yeah. Or plumbing, right? yeah because the, like the paragliding I guess paragliding's only got so much money in it you know so not only that but can only give your passion for so long and I, I think you know in a few years or uh, it might die for him you know and he does want other options yeah um, and that it's like any job really if it, if you're going to make it into your job then at some point it is going to become a bit tedious you know um, yeah. and it is all about keeping it fun as you can you know yeah and it will like it will, there's only so much being punched in the face yeah. is attractive you know after a few years I'd get up in the morning and I'd be dreading going to spar and once I'm in there and I'm sparring it's fine loved it yeah. get out of session over and done with absolutely loved it but there's times where you dread it you you know like you dread the weight cut you dread, you dread all the elements and people I guess people see with what you do they see you get in a paraglider you yeah. go and you do tricks and that's it that's the fun part but they're not seeing the 
like packing everything, then getting back on a bus or whatever, getting yeah. back to the hill. But exactly. like those bits are bound to be torturous. You're like, fuck, I've got to go up and do another run again. Yeah. So as you start a run, I get, I bet it's brilliant. You know, yeah. you're just, this is it. This is where I make a mistake or I do it well. If I do it well, brilliant. If I make a mistake, I've got something to work on. The second is over, you're like, God, I couldn't do another one again. Yeah. You know? but it's exactly that. There's so much to what I do now outside of kind of the two minutes of a run. There's, you know, the paragliding itself, there is my education now that I have to worry about. There is, you know, earning the money to actually go and fly. Um, all spring, I'm, you know, down in London all the time in meetings. I'm bouncing all over the country to kind of put things together so that I can take four months off to go and travel um, when I don't have, a, you know, a real job, as it were. And, you know, it can be hard at times. And it was like the week before the finals at, um, at Sonshow in Switzerland, we were training in Lake Garda uh, for about 10 days. So me, um, Horacio Lorenz, Beecher Carrera, and um, Rafael Gabona, if you know or not, you know, we were there for 10 days, sleeping literally in a car park in a tent. Um, not because we didn't have the money, but in Garda, it's packed with tourists, so you couldn't book a hotel if you wanted to, yeah. couldn't book a campsite if you wanted to. You know, we were kind of, homeless really we call ourselves uh, professional homeless people you know kind of uh, in Spanish it's called wagabundos which just means homeless and you know we were washing ourselves under the pier swimming in the lake you know hiding from people so they didn't see us washing there you know and it really is great fun but at the same time 10 days of that doing six seven runs a day you know you land you pack you drive the car up to the middle station so you you know you beat all the traffic and then you go up and you know it's an hour run but it's really tiring like there's so much more to just doing your two minute run you know and after the 10 days I was beat I mean after my competition season I was really done Um, I wouldn't say I didn't want to touch a paraglider but I was eager to either experience other things for a little bit you know see my family or pick up a paraglider in a totally different way like I was really looking forward to coming home to my local site flying there and just soaring up and down you know having no stress of thinking god I need to improve and need to prepare for this competition and you know there is a certain outlook I have to have on it now that it's it's become more than just a hobby I wouldn't quite say it's my job although it, it is in other ways I wouldn't say it's at that level yet but I'm not just going out and flying anymore. It does become a training routine where you're just going out and practicing the same things day in, day out, you know? Yeah. It's uh, it's one of those, like, it's hard because, like, you're intelligent as well. So, like, spending time with you, you're an intelligent guy. Even away from paragliding, you're an intelligent guy. So, you're, it's very hard to just lock away into one thing and monotonously and tirelessly do that thing over and over again when you have that intelligence and creativity because when it starts to get when it starts to get to you a little bit you know and you're like fuck man and you start and then you read a book or you're escapism something else your, your brain starts to wander away from the activity and it's hard to stay focused on the on yeah. the task this is i'm a you know, right now I'm a professional paragliding pilot. I'm a professional acro pilot. That's what I am. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to focus on. And then when it goes tough or it goes bad or you're tired, your brain can wander away and you're looking yeah. at stuff elsewhere. And it's so hard to stay focused yeah. on that on that one thing, especially when you financially you're getting really no support. I mean, yeah. you, like you get support, and that's not to discredit anyone who helps you, but financially it's not 
a career yet. It's no. not, you know, no, I mean, exactly. who, who in the world at acro level is making enough money for it to be a full-time career? Um, so you're probably looking at the likes of your Theodobliques, um, you know, Horacio Lines, probably the top five out there. But there's also many within the top ten that are struggling, you know, and um, in the paragliding world, you have a lot of the athletes working tandem to kind of um, make their season, you know, meet really, and that's the stark reality of paragliding. Although there are certain athletes within the sport that are really doing well, you know, I I know three Theo pretty well these days, and Horacio pretty well, and they are doing well. And from what I've seen in my short time within the sport now, coming up to five years it is improving within the world of athletes and I think it one day soon we'll get to the level where you can safely say the top guys in the world will be content with what they earn and all that kind of stuff um, but at the same time it doesn't just make you into this um, you know athlete that just does acro it's really cool because you've got to be your you know you've got to be an acro pilot you've got to be a marketer you've got to be um nowadays someone that can go out and teach SIV as well you look at Theo he's out in China at the minute doing SIV and you've got to be this kind of all-round all-encompassing being really and I think it's really good to kind of spread your you know wings as it were into many different avenues yeah definitely I think uh, the I don't it's a hard sport because I don't see where the funding will come from to financially make it any any bigger yeah. unless it was to get something like an Olympic pick yeah. up um, which acro paragliding I could see making the Olympics it's something that you know it's it's quite exciting to watch it's fun it's not something that everybody can do so it's got that sort of level to it but at the same time will it ruin the acro side of things or will it just put so much money that it makes it better you know I don't know other than that I don't see where the funding can come from I mean yeah. you get big sponsors like Red Bull or something putting money in but they're going to spread their wealth over such a small pool yeah. of people but it's uh telling that a lot of the acro guys have looked at the x alps this year yeah. lots of acro guys have, have applied or either didn't get in or are in or guys with a, a strong acro background you know um i don't know whether that's a sign that they want to get away from or they're getting away from the acro side of things or whether it's a case of that's just a really strong foundation for going and doing something like a I can fly race like um, I think it's a combination of a few things. Um, but looking kind of at the acro side of things, your wing control is on another level, I would say, compared to most pilots. Mm-hmm. Um, try not to be elitist there, but it, it really no, is. I mean, I would 100% agree. Anyone who's, anyone who's got handling of their paraglider on a similar level has done acro. It's that, yeah. it's that simple. An acro guy has got the best understanding and control of their wing yeah. and anybody who flies a wing, uh, a normal cross-country wing or comp wing to the, to the level of a top acro guy will have some acro background. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And so going into the X-Alps, you know, you've probably got so much support there and from your acro career that you can go and pick any glider you want to fly essentially you can take yourself into the gnarliest places so i think it's a certain edge that acro pilots are looking to and i mean if you look to the world of pwc now you see felix is out there crushing it because he's got a strong acro background and he flies really well and a lot of that will be down to the fact he doesn't have to worry about his glider and he can just fly at full speed and think about everything else and take that race where it needs to be you know um so i think some of it has got to do with the certain um edge that we may think that we have on other athletes um 
but also I think it's to do with um, for example Theo trying to apply for it and a couple of the other guys I think it's to widen their their prospects really because the brands we work with now you know myself with Ozone Theo with Gradient um, we want to be the kind of guys that can provide an all-round marketing platform and it makes us more marketable you know to sell yeah, help exactly. sell gliders if we just fly in a small world of acro pilots that is a really small community you know it only limits our options really but if we go out and do pwcs or you know go down and fly cross country at the mind or whatever we're really opening our aspects to be these um you know athletes that people want to endorse you know yeah and it's easier if you're the more you're right there the more your face is seen the more yeah. people want to invest in you yeah so putting yourself on world cup level for uh, paragliding World Cup level and putting yourself on the, the top levels of Acro and the Red Bull X Alps etc just having your name out there is, yeah. uh, like it's never a, a bad thing it's, all, it's only going to be positive you know yeah. um, and then you've got where do you go after that you've got movie roles stunt work etc yeah. if you're going to look into that side of things and being a, as diverse as you possibly can is always I think in the, in the sport being as diverse as you can is probably a good thing like I, I know that Acro is probably what I'll focus a lot on next year in between fly and hiking fly comps mm. just because the only way to get um, more confident and competent on my glider is either go fly the terrain that you would be flying in hiking fly go and fly loads in the mountains really get familiar with the mountains which is great that'd be great but that's you know a season or two at least yeah. just living out in the Alps or the Pyrenees yeah. so there's that option or the option is go and get so comfortable on a glider yeah. that no matter what happens in what situation you're super confident yeah. so I would pro- I'll probably focus on that next year with the with no idea of, of competing at acro level but I understand acro is a massive jump in, in hours yeah. that I, like a few we're putting some work in an acro it's going to give me hours and hours worth of of flying and people say I mean your bog standard pilot is thinking the amount of pilots I've heard I'm, I haven't done an SOV I, I'm not really going to do an SOV and I'm like why have you why why don't you want to do an SOV and they're like well I don't really need it I don't really I don't fly cross country yeah. or anything I don't like, but you don't like do you thermal and I'm like yeah I'm like, and do you fly near the ridge and I'm like yeah I'm like, you need to do SOV I'm like, like yeah but I've never really had, I'm like, okay so you're in a thermal with a gaggle in your local site you're 1500 foot up you get a little cravat you go to sort it you spin your glider in the thermal you exit the thermal your glider surges on you you don't catch it on time I said now you've got the responsibility of every pilot below you because you didn't want to do an SIV yeah I was like I understand SIVs are scary for some people I love them I'm sure you love them like for some people they're scary I get it but Paragliding is scary. Like yeah. it's a it's a dangerous sport. Is, yeah. you, just because you go and float around on your local ridge for ten years and you don't get injured, you can't take away from the fact that this is a really dangerous sport exactly, and the yeah. consequences can be like fatal. You know. Yeah. So I think it's there should be an onus on yourself and the other people who you fly with on your local site to do some SIV or some acro, even if it's simple going and correcting little collapses. Yeah. If you don't want to do spiral dives and you. You're not well enough to do big rapid exits, etc. Fine, but learn how your canopy behaves when you get collapses, yeah. etc. And take that responsibility on yourself because it's gonna make you a better pilot. And I do find it a bit shocking that people don't, that people aren't doing that, you know. Yeah. And then the progression from there to go and do acro. So someone like myself, I know the only thing's gonna, not the only thing. That's very arrogant. Um, the next thing's gonna make me a better pilot 
is to go and do acro. Yeah. I want to get as much acro as I can, not because I want to be an acro pilot, but just because I know I'm going to fully understand my wing. If I've done as much SOV as I can, and now I'm doing acro. Yeah. It's a way to understand your wing. No, definitely. And I think a lot of what I've seen in the past few years, especially since my, you know, um, I've widened my prospects and whatever. I've seen so many pilots that are now just basically passengers, you know, and they have no idea what to do. And it can be really scary. And I just don't understand how you can't really invest £600 into your life, really, when it is your life, you know. If if you get a collapse at 50 metres and you don't do anything, you get, you might die. But yeah. if, if you whack the brakes on, you might just get enough air into the canopy to just hit you'll hit the ground most likely and conversely if you do but nothing you, that might be what saves you yeah because so many people over exactly yeah. so they get a collapse and they over pilot where if you've been in an SIV situation you might suddenly realize all I've got to do is lean left yeah. and keep it flying straight Definitely. it's it's trying to turn me into the hill I'm just going to counter that yeah. I don't care about the collapse I know that I'm going to hit the ground but if I counter the, the turn I'm not going to be spun in yeah but just that simple little thing not doing nothing you know but having the confidence to do nothing is is a learned response yeah. because everybody's response if you fall off the back of the chair you wave your arms around yeah, you flail exactly. around if i throw a punch at you you flinch or you put your hands up to protect your face yeah. there's certain responses that are ingrained deeply within us now it takes a little while so if i throw a punch at you that you decide i'm going to take this punch on my face i'm going to try and parry it but i'm not going to flinch from it because if it gets through my parry it's going to feel like a punch on the nose yeah. and i've been punched on the nose feels like yeah I've been punched on the nose probably 10 million times. I don't want to get punched on the nose today, <laughs> but if you throw a punch at me, I'm certainly not going to flinch, you know? Yeah. And it's the same for... If if your, if your um, comp glider folds up and goes into a stall, you're not going to start flailing your arms out. Yeah, you're exactly. going to look straight up and see what's going on. And that it's having that learned response, that trained response that... I mean, I, I think if you're flying at a, at a, a good level, you should be doing SIV every I year. I completely but, agree. Uh, every year, but... People say about the cross-country thing, like, you're forgetting the most dangerous part of having a paragliding accident is hitting the ground. Yeah. Or somebody else. So why would you not be doing SIV because you're rich by only rich sore? That you, you need it more than me. Yeah. yeah. You, you need it. When um, I'm at five grand, I've got loads of time to think, I can't sort this out and I can throw my wash in, you know? Yeah. Like, just loads of time. Exactly. But you're on the ridge and you've just built up, I've been flying for 15 years, nothing's happened. Yeah. I know, but... Might when it do does, yeah. yeah, and you know, me and you both have uh, had talks before about you know different psychology books and stuff like that. And at the end of the day, that's what it boils down to: is different perceptions of their danger, and you know where their fear lies. You know, some people might be scared at five thousand feet when they should be more scared at fifty foot off the deck. Yeah, and um, it, it's really scary because there's so many pilots out there, especially when I went to PwC level, that have very little understanding of what they're going to have to do to keep their glider open and you know my first flight on my Enzo or my first comp task on my Enzo within uh, 30 minutes of the race starting I had a big frontal had to stall my glider so I don't know how people can get through so many comps and so many years of comp flying without the need to do this on a you know almost daily basis basically yeah yeah and you know I wanted to do a talk on you know the difference between fear and you know where what you should be scared of and stuff like that and in order to understand that you really need to do SIV really because yeah I mean conversely what you said there is you maybe wouldn't have had the collapse if you wouldn't have been pushing so hard the reason you push so hard is because you're so competent yeah. on your glider yeah. so 
it can be they people can say yeah but I wouldn't be pushing like that but then why would you be flying a glider that you were not willing yeah, to push to the edge exactly so it, it always comes back round full circle I believe because people have said it to me well I don't fly full bar in thermal in thermic conditions I'm like that's when you should be flying full bar like what do you yeah. mean you don't fly full bar in thermic conditions like no I don't I don't want to be on the bar when I get a collapse but like, you're just not comfortable you yeah. need to get comfortable enough so that if you want to do big distances you need to fly for full bar on thermic conditions you're going to fly a lot further that's that's the way it is like what and they can't it's it's not how i've not had that big collapse oh, and i don't fly full bar but it doesn't mean you're not going to get that big collapse yeah. and also it doesn't mean that you know you're not going to just spin your glider just something just something happened you know and think if you're not flying your glider to its potential find a way that you can fly yeah. that glider to its potential and often that means stepping down you know and I, I respect people a lot that have said, oh, well, I didn't feel like I was maximising potential on my glider, so I've stepped down to a C or a B. I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. You know, when I started to learn to fly or even before I was properly flying on my own, I said to my dad I wanted a race. And I wanted to be at PwC level and I wanted to fly two liners. And he said, well, first you're going to become a good acro pilot because yeah. I don't want you to be in a certain situation where, you know, your life's dangerous because you're flying these type of gliders. These type of gliders are dangerous. You know, we're talking at the times when, you know, we had the, like, R10.2 and stuff like that, and gliders that were just bags of wash, and, you know, we've got the Enzo 3, which is, you know, unparalleled, basically, uh, in terms of safety. But I went out my way, <laughs> partly because I think my dad wanted me to start Acro, or he said become a great Acro pilot first, because it, he didn't think I was going to do it. So I'm pretty sure he set kind of goals a bit out of my reach to kind of stop me from flying two liners because they were so kind of, uh, you know, godlike as it were. Um, and, you know, lo and behold, I went and became an acro pilot and whatever. But I have so much respect for the glider and and you can really learn to fly them well and, and fly them safely, really. Yeah, so that was how you started with acro. Yeah. Was your, that was the, your dad was a pilot, yeah? Yeah. So my dad's been flying since God ninety. I want to say ninety five. I don't know the exact time, but he's been flying a long time. And then you decided what you just started training with him or going with him, watching him. Or... <sighs> it, it was a difficult. One. So I started flying. There's a picture in the front room. That I don't know if you've seen. Um, I've seen the one. Yeah, yeah. Three years old. I think that was me. Uh, after I'd been flying tandem nearly a year or something like that, uh, I had my first tandem flights at two, which obviously I didn't ask for, <laughs> but. Um, not saying that's a bad thing. Tandem torture. But then he carried on and I wanted to, you know, I wanted to be with my dad. That's like every other child wants to do. So I was just being with my dad. You know, he exposed me to all different types of sports as a kid. Um, but then it kind of got to the point where he, I think he realised that I wanted to start. And it he kind of backed off a little bit and it became a point of, of like, oh, I'm not just going to take Jack flying with me because... I want to have him there, I'm going to wait for him to ask or, you know, I want to make sure he wants to be there and when that started to happen and, you know, when I started to want to go to flying, I think he got a bit scared of kind of what might be, you know. Yeah. What um, age was this? Seven, six, seven. So I was, by the time I was six or seven, we had double breaks on the tandem, I was landing the tandem, um, I was thermal and all that kind of stuff. Um, How many hours you had? In a in, under a paraglider at seven. Oh, I don't know. I I could safely say by the time I was ten, easily a hundred, maybe two hundred, maybe more, because my dad completely gave up solo flying. So from the moment he took me tandem, he didn't really fly solo again. He mostly flew with me. You know, if I was available, I was there. You know. Yeah. 
and that was how it was so I think basically whatever hours he did I did too um, loads of memories of going through clouds with him and stuff like that and he falling asleep and you know <laughs> so I grew I really did grow up in the air essentially um, and that kind of progressed I remember the first time I grand ha- ground handled was um, on a place called Whitestones which we will have drove past last night and we landed on the tandem I think I landed it on my double brakes and I said dad can I can I ground handle or can I forward launch so he unclipped everything and he clipped my um, my passenger harness into the tandem and he taught me to forward launch and I remember just like running down the field holding onto the A's as this like heavy 41 meter glider barely came <laughs> up behind me and stuff like that and that's how I started and you know he then took me to a local field nearby which was full of trees um, which he knew was going to be really turbulent and he gave me like a, a really huge uh, Sigma 4 actually 27 meter and he had me ground under in there and I'd get collapses all the time because how turbulent it was but it was kind of like on the ground SIV almost because yeah. he wanted me to get really good at ground handling and then it kind of just went from there really by the time I was 11 I was having my first flights you know yeah. um, got my CP at 15 but that that's a long story <laughs> Yeah. You had, I guess you had many hours solo um, CP. No, do you know what it was? I kind of, between the ages of, say, 10, I'd say 9 and 11, actually, I got in love with football. I was playing a lot of football, two teams, training um, three times a week, maybe more. And I kind of fell out of love with paragliding. And then I came back to it when I started to express my kind of feeling towards flying. And I was begging my dad to take me ground handling every day. He kind of pushed me away from it. He didn't. He wanted me to ground handle, but he was really nervous of me starting to fly early. And um, at the end of the day, I got to about fourteen, and um, I'd been working in a kennels for a year, a dog kennels nearby. I'd been selling sweets and Lucas Aids at school, and um, we were on a road trip one time. One time to go to the Blorange, and we stopped at the local post office. I was like, Dad, can we just stop here a second? I've got to pick up something. I run into the post office and I said, Dad, I, I need your help. He says, what, what is it? And I say, this pa- package has got £127, £127.50, I remember it exactly, worth of import tax. And he said, what is it? What have you bought? And I go, I bought a paraglider. And I bought my first paraglider without telling him. It was, <laughs> it was off of a paragliding forum. It was a ENB gradient delight. So I was sensible, but it took me months to find, months to save up. And everything was just going so slow with him that I knew it wasn't going to happen, so I just had to do it myself. Yeah. And um, he was kind of a bit shocked, and and that night we just ended up going to the Blorange, and I was ground handling that and walking up and down the van on top of it, you know, and that's yeah. where it all started. And I think it was because I kind of put so much effort into get to the get the glider and prove that I wanted to fly. He kind of retaliated, you know, and he taught me to soar over the following months on, on our local site and by the end of summer I, I had a lot of hours and I did my CP and everything like that. So how long from there until you started Acro? Was I, it an SIV? Can you all come from an SIV? Or? Kind of. It's, it, it wasn't evident to me that I wanted to be an Acro pilot. I was very inspired by the likes of, you know, Pal and Horacio and all that kind of stuff growing up and even I used to go to bed watching this you know Jane Gangster movie which yeah. had a guy called Matthias Roten and I watched it every night you know some kids you know they watch In the Night Garden Fine and Time whatever for me it was just this acro movie that I really wanted to watch and so I was always inspired by that type of flying but I also think it was mainly because there wasn't cross country videos out there you know I watched Jockey's SIV videos of course um, 
and so it wasn't clear at first I was just flying and flying for me at the time was more of a meditative thing you know because I had, I had stuff to escape from in school I didn't have a great time at school and stuff like that so it became a more of escape and then six months after I you know started flying I joined the Nova team and people kind of started saying oh he, he's all right he's flying well and it kind of gave me a lot of confidence to kind of push on really and fly a lot more um and I went on a Nova team SIV in in Lake Garda and you know it's an Austro um Austro-German brand based in Innsbruck and you know I go to this SIV I'm sat there at the briefing and two hours go by and I'm like god I wish I could understand German that would be brilliant like, <laughs> and I'm waiting for this English briefing and I say to my friends like when, when's the English briefing going to be and he goes uh I don't think there is one and I go what do you mean and he's like uh I'm pretty sure that the instructor doesn't know English so I'm sat there like how how have they overlooked the fact that I don't speak German or Austrian and I'm sat here on this SIV now you know <laughs> when, when were they going to tell me this information and so basically what would happen then is that I've got my friend to translate to the instructor that all I want to learn is stores. I've been flying now, let's say, 100 hours, um, maybe a little bit less. No, actually, about 100 hours is right. I've experienced collapses. I've induced collapses myself. You know, back then, we had to induce collapses on the CP anyway, um, which I think shouldn't have been taken off the syllabus, but anyway, that's another story. Um, And I just wanted to do stores. I'd already been doing sats. I had a freestyle glider by then. And he said, okay, I guess the way we're going to do it is that, you know, I'll learn one word of German, which is Bremser, and that means breaks, and you'll learn one word of English, which is reserve. And now I've told this story in a few podcasts now and in a few articles, so people should know it by now. But, um, you know, if I went out over the lake and I heard Bremser, then I'd start the store. If I didn't hear reserve, it went well. <laughs> so that is how I learned. And luckily, I had a bit of finesse by that time because I'd, I'd already learned the spin point and stall point kind of from sats. My dad was always getting me to learn that kind of stuff anyway. So they went fairly well. And So no reserve. No reserve. was totally okay. And at the end of this four-day trip, it was only only a two-day SIV, but I stayed out two days longer because it was kind of my, um, I think it was my 16th birthday present from my family, or 17th. And and then I just kind of whacked out 80 stalls in four days, basically, in Garda on my own, kind of middle of October, going into November. And that's when I really started to think about Acre then, and I spoke to some of my friends, and I got advice on what wing I should get next, and... Didn't get wet on any of those 80 stools, didn't get no, wet at all? not wet, yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, next spring I had an Emily 20 acro glider and I was teaching myself helicopter over, over ground in Tenerife. Um, I kind of taught myself on YouTube at the end of the day, but yeah. that's the kind of area so this is That's the, the thing where the psychology comes into it because people will, um, people will hear your story and they'll say well I mean you had your dad supporting you you obviously they were willing to finance it you bought your own glider you had people around you were into flying yeah. but you have to take into consideration the mentality your how your mind works where you say well I'm going to go out and I'm going to do 80 souls over Lake Garda for people who don't even want to go on an SIV in the first place and then there's you who's right I've done a few stalls now I'm going to go and just do 80. So you go, go and do 80. Then you teach yourself how to heli over grind. Now, I've done 
uh, I don't know, 70 stools or something on, on uh, comp gliders. So I've then gone and done stools over ground on lower wings, like bees and stuff, you know. And uh, I wouldn't... I wouldn't probably intentionally stall my comp glider over ground unless I needed to, you know. Mm. I wouldn't play around and stall it just because I don't want to stall it and get any burns or anything on yeah. the lines. But I've stalled over ground. Now, it's a different... Comp, uh, like, it, mentally, it's a different yeah, thing. Deciding you're going to... So, for a kid of 16, 17, to then get your Emily and just put, well, I'm going to teach myself in a heli over the ground. This is what will separate you from everybody else. It's not... People can look at it and they can see... Well, you had this opportunities, and you had this, and you had that, but but you had to have that mentality. Yeah. Now, maybe the mentality comes from the confidence of what, the work that you've put in, mm-hmm. but I believe you have to just be that guy. You have to be the guy who's going to say, right, well, I want to learn how to heli. Yeah. Well, I've got nowhere to learn how. To, I'll learn to heli here, and you can be as confident as you want. But people, some people just don't have that mentality it's yeah. the same with fighting you get many people who are good in the gym they don't have what it takes to walk along and step into a cage yeah and that's it's your story is very interesting and from a psych, psychological point of view it's very interesting because it can be looked at as a guy who liked paragliding his dad liked paragliding he did everything he wants to do everything his dad did he saw his opportunities, they give them to him, he's taken it and he started paragliding. But for me, looking at you as an athlete, I'm thinking like, well, like the mentality of him to, to want to learn something, to watch that video every night, then to go, because you probably had, if there was hellers on that video that you were watching, I've not seen the video, if there were hellers on that gym video, you've probably had a hundred hours more exposure to hellers yeah. than anybody else who'd ever... Or anybody else who's not seen that video, yeah. so you're already just from visual a visual point of view and listening, watching, seeing how they're doing it, watching their hands. You've probably seen a heli a hundred times more than other people. Yeah. Before you even start to go for a heli, then when you start looking at it and you're breaking it down as well, plus with the mentality of I want to get this right and I'm going to do it over the ground. Yeah. There, there are the elements that not everybody will have, you know? Yeah. The bits where people are like, yeah, but Jack's just good, he's gifted, he's stuff like that. Yeah, but, I mean, I'm not, I don't like the words talented and yeah. gifted. I, I, Talk about I, that we've had, Yeah, we've had this discussion before. I'm not a fan of them because I think it discredits all the parts that people aren't seeing, your yeah. mentality, your strength, your confidence, your will, your drive, and people are, yeah, well, they all make up talent. No, because there's somebody else out there who will have all the capabilities that you have but they don't have the bollocks to go over land on their own and say, oh, I just want to learn this trick and I'm just going to go and do it. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's advisable. No. I'm not saying you did it the right way. No, I'm saying there's something a little bit different about you yeah. to want to do that. You know, yeah. that's this. These are the things that are that have pushed you pushed you on further yeah. and will continue to. Yeah, so I, I think a big part of it, like you say, it's not actually about the opportunities that I had. And yeah, I, I've been amazingly, amazingly gifted such an amazing childhood you know like I did every other sport like you could think of it at the end of the day paraglides just the sport we found out I was good at you know it should have been tiddlywinks or snowboarding or something you know yeah. it could have been anything it was like at the end of the day you know my dad like god we need to find him good at something he's shit at everything else so you know like they just threw everything they could at me you know and um I think it got to the certain stage where it was just like fuck it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paraglide whether my dad lets me or not, you know. And there's a story about when he took me to June Depila for the first time uh, back in 2013, 13 years old. I was ground-handling like a wizard. I was great on the ground. I put, like, 
would be like I'd say 200 hours ground handling by that point um, and I had a 16 meter mini winger that he bought me and you know we'd been there about four days I'd not been allowed to soar or fly or anything like just ground on the top of it while I watch him fly around and my dad says right you stay there I'm going back to the car I need to get my glider he comes back and he sees me just smugly soaring up and down the hill and I'm just like going down the hill and all I could see was this bloke running across the sand dunes going, Jack, land, land. And I'm going, no, this is too much fun. This is too much fun, you know? And I think that perfectly sums up my mentality. I was kind of going to fly whether he was going to support me or not, you know? Yeah. Um, and again, it kind of reflected when it came down to choosing what I was going to do at the end of my GCSEs. I had, by, from the ages of 12, I was kind of groomed to go into apprenticeships and that's what I was going to do um, but it wasn't me you know it, at the end of the day it, it wasn't me and I wasn't ready for that so it's good I mean having parents that notice that as well and yeah. see that within you I mean I, I was really lucky growing up with my parents they would say I, I played football at quite a high level and they really supported me made sure I had everything necessary to play football um, and then as I got a bit older I got dropped from Newcastle United and I got said they said like you'll be a professional footballer just go back get to bristol city like start keep training we're going to keep an eye on you and that was it i never played football since it disheartened me completely disheartened me but i had all the support i could have asked for and then not long after that i started doing judo and then progressing and doing fighting i like with my fighting i i sort of knew i knew i was always going to be athletic it was going to be a sport of some sort but having the support like my family were very much will support whatever you want. I was never allowed to box or anything when I was young. I wasn't allowed to punch people. I wasn't allowed to get punched. So then when I started to, to want to fight, like my family would just support whatever I did. And it makes a massive difference, yeah, you know? Um, and with your dad, him supporting you, I'm sure every part of him was thinking, oh, fucking hell, he's not going to make any money at this. <laughs> you know? But the beauty of it, the reason I, I, I would say the reason you're probably so good is that at 13, you have no thought of making no. money from this. No, exactly. It's your pure passion. You're, you're flying through pure, pure passion and love for what you do. It's exciting. Yeah. You get enjoyment from it. And that's probably what, what's made you or driven you to succeed up until the point where you get to 16 or 17 when you start to think then, yeah. well, financially, how does this look? And you're probably not thinking about your your future there, but you're thinking like, okay, so if I do this, I can't I can't afford it. Yeah. How, am, how am I going to fund it? And as soon as that comes into it, because you've had you know three years before that to build the passion, you're probably locked in and you're in a good yeah. position then to say, yeah, this is what I want to do. This is this is where I want to follow yeah. it, you know? And every kind of spare moment I had really was spent kind of learning how to, you know, market myself, what who I was going to contact, how I was going to build this life for myself, you know? And now I look back three years ago, it was quite amazing. I remember kind of managing through one way or another to contact the um, athlete manager at Red Bull. I found him on Instagram. I messaged him several weeks later they changed manager and I managed to convince him to let me go and have a meeting with him you know I walked into the you know UK Red Bull offices um, at 16 and pitched myself and it kind of all went from there really and you know three years I've been contracted with them now and going in well going into my third contract with them um, on a supportive athlete contract and they're there but that's the bits you can't teach that you know like that's what separates you you Okay, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna find the guy at Red Bull, and I'm gonna go and speak to him. Yeah. Like 
Even if even if someone else said to you to do that, you got to get off your ass and do it. Even if it wasn't your idea, getting off your ass and doing it is the biggest holdback for, and especially your generation. Like the biggest holdback is people not wanting to get off their ass and yeah. doing it, wanting things given to them. You know, and so when you've got someone who, in such a niche sport, is willing to get off their ass and go and get it, again comes back to that mentality. And other people will, I, I guess people might not who listen to this might not understand that the athletes have to approach sponsors. Yeah. I get it a lot. How do you get sponsored? Oh, how do they get hold of you? I'm like, well, you have to put work in. Yeah. Like I, I, I get a development package and I put a package together for sponsors. Yeah. And I, this is my sponsorship package. This is what I can offer people. And I look at what companies I'd like to work with and then I figure out how I would approach them. Yeah. And you have to do that. That's work. That's the side of this business is work. I mean, Training's hard work. There's a pain in the ass, and but it's training. Yeah. The work side of it, like you said, going and approaching Red Bull, is even if someone else gives you that idea, for you to get off your ass and do it, it's a big, it's yeah. a big, big factor to succeed in. Yeah, and it, it again is the real kind of work that you have to put in behind the scenes that people don't see in the three minute YouTube videos that you put up. You know, um, now I'm sponsored by you know Ozone. I work with Red Bull. They've been supporting me now for nearly three years, four years. Um, Ava Sport, who provide my harnesses, you know, and a couple of other brands on the side that kind of help me in whatever way. But there's never been actually, I, I don't think there's ever been a brand that I've worked with that have approached me first. And yeah. at the end of the day, it's not that type of sport, really. I mean, once you get to the high level, sure, I've had some brands approach me now. But when you're first starting, like all the legwork starts, you know, like that's when you've got to go out and approach brands, and that's when it kind of determines whether you're going to make it or not you know I believe it really is something that you have to work out and kind of follow whatever you want to do you know in in whatever you want to do I mean this yeah. is the thing people listen to this this isn't this isn't specific to paragliding I mean I've I've had to generate sponsorship for paragliding for MMA for other fighters within MMA yeah. falconry projects um, video projects sponsorships for the podcast you, you've you've got to work you've got to grind yeah. your ass off you know like there's no it's not just I don't just think right well I'm going to sit and do this or I'm going to when I open my gym right well I'll go and open a gym and bam I'm going to put 25 grand of my own money and you've got to think about how, how you can work with people make the connection and that's the bit that's the grind is the connecting with people and saying I can make this work for you and finding the bit inside you that's different and separates you I remember like, I was really grateful and lucky with Skywalk because yeah I approached Skywalk about a, uh, a harness and they approached me and said, well, wouldn't you want to fly our glider? We'd be interested in working with you. And from that, talking with them, I was like, well, of course I would. Like, you're, you're Skywalk. You're yeah. in h- hiking fly. You're the top guys, you know? Yeah. Like, your partner's with Red Bull and they've got the best pilots in the world. I was like, of course I'd want to work with you guys. Yeah, what are you thinking? And they put together a package for me, which was incredible. Yeah. And then... Even more so than that, once I started working with them, my dad got sick when I was traveling. I got an inbox straight away from yeah. uh, from the guys at Skywalk. Hey, Wes, I hope you're okay. Heard about your dad. If we can do anything, let me know. Is there anything you need? But straight away, these guys are just taking the time. It's not yeah. just somebody in office. So finding those people, marrying up with those people, finding something that works. And that's not to say other other um, companies don't do that. But I was 
I met up with Skywalk because I put my ass out there and I messaged people, yeah. you know. I knew I needed a harness. I knew that was the lightest harness. And I messaged them. I said, this is me. This is what I do. This is what I have been doing. And luckily, I have a 16-year career in MMA where yeah. I focused on my uh, on my uh, publicity. Yeah. So that came back on itself with the Skywalk thing. So that worked out really well. And people don't see that. And for you being now just 20 with a three solid three-year career behind you, with Red Bull with you for three years, what the work you must have put in at 17 years old, you know, like, it can be so understated. I, I put that work, I'm 30, 35 years old, I'm putting that work and I know, I've seen it, I've done it. You're out there at 17 doing it. Yeah. Grafting, putting the work in. It's it's understated. I think that uh, people will have overlooked that with you. You're a funny, scouse lad who, you know, <laughs> takes a piss and has a joke <laughs> and then you go out and you make paragliders go into funny shapes and stuff but it's cool like that's Jack oh yeah Jack Pim but yeah he's rad whatever but people aren't looking and thinking well I don't know how's this guy got Red Bull sponsored they're thinking the Red Bull have come up to you chuck the can your way and when you caught it you looked attractive so like that's our guy you know it's not no it fucking works it puts work and you gotta write emails and find the guy to write emails to that it's so hard it really can be you know it's kind of it's not just the fact it's hard work, but it's so um, there's so little like literature available to read and understand what you have to do. It's completely like trying to find your own way, you know, like being in a maze and deciding what you have to that's do. That's exactly what it is, and that's what's so good about it. I think yeah. is it when you do find your own way and something works, yeah, you that's you. You've been creative enough to do that because yeah. if it was sponsorship template online and you download a sponsorship template who the fuck's going to read that like if you if I'm hiring you for a job and I've got 100 CVs and they're all off a word template and then one of them's slightly different the font's slightly different it's a slightly bigger well this one's a bit different it just stands out from the template and I think so many people are just you know like I want to do this give me some money look yeah, you got to understand that you might not get any financial support, but they might say, "I tell you what, we'll let you use the Red Bull logo, yeah. and we'll send you, we'll send you this, and we'll give you a few things like this, and they're just testing you, just see, oh, is this what you want?" And then you're like, "Oh, well, I want money. Don't worry about thanks." So, yeah, all right, fuck you. Well, this is the one. Like when I, now I've, I spent a year kind of getting to know Red Bull. I think after my first meeting at Red Bull, they sent started sending me cans and a fridge and all that kind of stuff. And then I made like um, a GIF kind of of me unboxing a Red Bull fridge. And then they used that. that it was so impressed with that. They used it in their kind of athlete summit to kind of show about new types of content. Um, and then I think it was pretty much a year to the day after I'd met a Red Bull. Um, I went in on their office. They invited me in. After, you know, I had a great season in 2016 off the back of uh, film Tumbles and shit, which you came and watched me do a talk on. Um, and they invited me in and they were like, look, we want to give you this. And at the end of the day, it was never kind of they want to support me because they know what I'm about now. The first year was just like, it. What's this kid about? What's he doing? Is he gonna become a paraglide athlete regardless of whether we give him money or not? Has he got that drive? And that's what I'd say to it. You know, if anyone had asked me now, you know, I get a lot of inboxes, especially when people. You know, I I don't wear a Red Bull cap. I haven't got to that level yet. Um, I hopefully I will do at some point within the next year or two. Um. But I get so many inboxes like, can you help me out? Send me a contact for Red Bull. Or, can you help me out with those? Can you help me out with this, that, and the other? And at the end of the day, it doesn't sit right too well with me considering how much graft I put in to get to exactly. there. And it, it might not be nice of me, but I don't reply to those messages sometimes. Cause I just, I just and I don't believe it. you should. Fuck them. Yeah. I agree with you. I, 
listen, I like to be nice to everybody and I respond to everyone who sends me a message about the podcast, everyone who sends me a message about my fights. If you ever send me a message, good luck tonight. I don't just look at it and go on to it. Yeah. I'll always respond, thanks for that. Like, I'll never copy and paste one. I'll thanks, cheers. What, if you even said one word because I'm getting ready to warm up, you get a response. If you message me and say, oh yeah, mate, really like the fact you got sponsored by so-and-so. How did you go about it? Who did you speak to? Yeah. I'm not even responding to you. I'm not, I'm not, Come on, like what the fuck? That's not, and it's not because, it's not because I don't want you to have a piece of the pie, or it's not because I don't want you to be part of this thing that I'm consider elitist. No, fucking work for it. Yeah. Like what? What the fuck do you think I messaged my mate and said, "Oh, mate, how do you think I get all the so and so?" No, you go and you find the websites that you want or the people you want to work with, and don't don't message everybody. This is the key as well. Don't fucking message everybody. Find the brand that it best yeah. sits with you no, exactly. and you can relate to. So that's what I did. I find the people who, who I really thought I'd like to work with these guys and you message them and then you build. Over time, you send out emails and nothing comes back. And that happened with the XP yeah. a lot. It happened to the XP, especially with hiring camper vans. Yeah. Because the XP is bang in the middle of the season. Really, it really like a really was hard work and then I spoke to a company and I, they were like one woman I said I love it I, I want to be a part of this so much um, I'm in charge of branding and stuff but we've put all our marketing money out I'm going to speak to uh, my directors if I can just get us something I really want to be involved in this she said, like, I've always wanted to go paragliding and I was like well I'll come up with a couple of guys and we'll all take like paragliding on yeah. tandems and stuff I mean like, like whatever it is. she absolutely fell in love with it. her director couldn't get it could not see it, did not see what was going to be good yeah. about it, could, couldn't get it, did like, oh, we'll offer a 10% discount. And he couldn't, he couldn't get it, and she's messaging me back, she's like, I'm so sorry, I think it'd be yeah. an amazing idea. I was like, you can come out paragliding whenever yeah, you yeah, want, yeah. just drop exactly. me a message. The fact that she loved something creative, that's someone who I'd want on the front of a tandem anyway. I'd yeah. like to spend time with her anyway. So I'm not worried that we don't do any business with your company. The fact that you are so passionate about it, you've gone to your director, you know, but he couldn't see it. But that's okay. You go on to the next one and you think, okay, what did they like? You take away. Yeah. And it's a process. It's about building something, you know? People forget that. They just want yeah. to message you like, oh, you couldn't hook me up with so-and-so, could you? Yeah, and it, it's one of them, you know? I, and now, now I look at myself, I have, in the past, I probably did that when I was younger and at the, not at the moment, I've gone to ask friends about other sponsors and stuff like that. But, you know, we try and kind of, you know, this is after years of friendship, you know? And yeah, yeah. It's not someone that, I, you know, you just tap up and you go, oh, what's this email for this guy or whatever, but it'd be someone, you know, you ask them how they are, you ring them up on a Sunday and speak to them, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's about that if it was someone, you know, like you, it's like, oh, do you, do you have this, do you want to help me out here? Not a problem, I'll send you an email and next day, you know, but it's those kind of guys that will send you an email every six months, you know, like, you've got this contact here or that contact there. Yeah. And exactly. they're not really interested in you as a person, they don't want to talk to you, they just want something out of you, you know. And are you grinding? If I see you grinding, yeah. I'll do everything I can to help yeah, exactly. you. If I see that you're out there pushing for sponsors and you're working your social media and you're really putting effort in and you hit me up and like that, well, I've been trying to get hold of someone at so-and-so, you want to have a contact for me, it's like, yeah, fuck, yeah, let me just speak to someone, see if I can hook you up. Yeah. And, because I see you're grinding, you're really working at it, you know, and I'm going to help you. If I, It's the same with MMA. If if I see that you're coming to classes, you're working your ass off your trade, I guarantee you, you'll be the one I'll pull aside at the class and I'll be like, listen, let me just work on that right hand a little bit. Or like, I'll see you, I'll be like, yeah. or I'll see you at class again. I'll be like, right, okay, so 
John, what are you getting stuck on? Maybe we're going to go over jujitsu tonight. What are you getting caught in all the time? What things do you want to work on? And I'll tailor a class to you because you're specifically there all the time. You're grinding, you know, you're putting the work in. So if you're doing that, then I've got no problem with helping anybody. But you can't just hit people up and just be like, oh, someone's going to get sponsored. How'd you hit that? No. Fuck, fuck off. You've got to find your way. Yeah. You've got to, you know, put the work in. Especially in the paragliding industry. I spoke to, like, um, you know, Theo. Theo's story's really cool. Um, I didn't know, yeah, Theo I didn't really know him too well until, until this year, and we ended up being neighbours um, in Organia this summer for nearly two months, and got to know him pretty well and stuff like that. And his story is brilliant, you know. Like, um, I think it was at the age of sixteen he moved out. His parents were moving back. He lives in Chambry, um, which is right near Cooper Car um, and San Hilaire de Tuve, which is you know the famous flying site. Um, and his parents were moving to South France. He was like, I don't want to do that. I've got this flying site right here. And he was on the cusp of joining a car and stuff like that. And he made it work. He was 16 years of age, still at high, um, still at school. Um, you know, joined, got a little house share. And he made it work. You know, he ended up becoming a, a test pilot for a car. He was doing really well for himself. Grinded his arse off. And you look at him now, doing really well, driving a nice car, having a nice life, you know? Yeah that's because he's worked his bollocks off for that man like I have so much respect for him now and you know last year he's world champion and he really deserved it like he puts more hours on the hill than I see he leaves himself there every night like yeah. you go you go up to training um, in Organia and he's there already he's already in the air he's in the air and you, you'll be there making your way through your, your rice lo- loading up some cars before you go and fly and he's already got an hour on you and then you'll be the last one to land with him, you know? And he'll yeah. do that every day. And not only that, he's probably around 30k in the morning. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. He's an athlete, mate. He really is. I mean, I think uh, people don't realise that the athleticism in, in paragliding at that level. No. It's at the moment, you no. know? like I mean, it's not ever. There's a big pool of people who paraglide, but... There's a huge pool of athletes, you know, guys who are ultramarathoners, triathletes, yeah. you know, and they're also they're paragliding pilots and they're damn good paragliding pilots and they treat it like a like a like a sport. Yeah. And they take that athleticism in it, like Theo now running. Ma- I mean, he was he played for the X Alps, didn't he? Yeah. So, yeah, and unfortunately he didn't get it. Which I mean, a crazy lineup this year. I can't yeah. believe it's like the year of the veterans, isn't it? It's oh yeah, veterans in there's, but there's, there are lots of rookies. Like Maxime's in this year. Maxime oh, yeah. had to be in this year. There's nobody could not let Maxime. But Steve didn't get it. Steve Bramford not getting in the X Alps. It's crazy from a UK point of view. I don't think we've had anybody more worthy. No, as long as I can remember. No, you know, like I mean, it's you know. Um, Poor Steve. Steve passed away a few years ago. He was in there. Yeah. That's who I grew up watching in the X Helps and stuff like that. And it'd be great to have another British contender in there, you know, yeah. representing for Britain. Tom was going to be his assistant. Tom Payne. So oh, yeah. Tom's done it, obviously. Yeah. Steve was awesome in the X pier. He did really well in the X pier. One Borns to Fly last year. Lives in Switzerland. Yeah. Look, I can't... Um, if they say because of social media, because his media presence isn't good, but eventually you've got to come to the point where you've got to say... Hang on, the athlete's got to come. Yeah. This is a, the top guy in the UK to do it, you know? Like, I I love it, and I'm quite prominent within UK hiking flying now, but he's the guy. That's yeah. the guy. If they'd have said to me, Wes, we're going to offer you a spot, and Steve wouldn't have got one, 100% of that, Steve's got to take the spot. Yeah. You can't, like, I don't deserve this, but that's the guy who's going to do well. You give it to him. I think it's mad that he didn't get in. I know, and if you look at it in comparison with Maxime, you know, Maxime was at Ozone for a few years now at Gin for a few years 
and I think that's where it's come from. You know, he has got a background, he has had a career in it, and they've not only got to look at whether the athlete's going to be safe in the exiles, but they've also got to look at is he going to produce a return on our investment? Yeah. Are we going to put in all this coverage to provide Maxime with you know the safety group, this, that, and the other? Um, and are we going to get like access to his five thousand followers or what, whatever he has? I'm not uh, familiar with his page, but you know, we're we going to get access to his coverage. Is he going to be putting great media out there for us? You know, yeah. And um, I think we touched on it last night. I we don't think Steve might have that, or that might be what he's missing out on. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think from looking at it from that point of view, it probably that is probably what what Steve suffers from. But as I say, sometimes you've got yeah, to just I go to the pilot yeah. and you've got to say, listen, you. You're in, but come on, let's work now. Now the work starts. Yeah. We want promotion out of you. Let's really go. You know, they, they should have approached him like that. Yeah. Maybe there's another reason. We, yeah. we don't know. Maybe he's on the reserve list. I don't, yeah. I, I don't know. But uh, yeah, I just think that from a UK pilot point of view, Steve, after his season last year, is more than worthy to be yeah. getting a spot. But I mean, he's like a super interesting guy. Yeah. Like base jumps, like wingsuit base jumps, flies acro, flies tandem every day. And is a good comp pilot, and obviously did well in the in last year's hiking fly events. Yeah. Super nice guy, funny, smart, witty. He is everything you'd want to represent the UK for someone. Yeah. So I think they've missed a trick, really. Yeah. Um, maybe it's the the advertising and the the pushing yourself, but they could have worked on that. I feel. Yeah. Could have spoke to him and said, like, you know, you need to work on this and just push it, push yourself a bit more because we need a bigger return. And I think uh, I think he could have done it. Yeah, I do. Because I think Britain would really get behind him. You know, everyone would... I feel like sometimes um, Acro is really kind of... You disassociate from it. You don't understand kind of what's going on. So it, it's not very relatable. Fair enough. Kind of not everyone gets to do it in their lifetime. So I can understand that. But you can really get behind someone who's grinding, walking 60 kilometres a day running up a hill, flying another 100 kilometers, and, you know, he's British, everyone's going to love that. Yeah, 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 I agree. I think uh, I think it was his place. I think this was his place this year, but hopefully, you know, next year he's going to compete again, yeah. and then hopefully the ex, uh, the ex peer in 2020, hopefully he'll apply and he'll be in there again. So yeah. we'll see, you know. It's just, it's a shame that the big ones are every other year. Yeah. Because it's, it's ex. But then, realistically... All I did last year was X pair. At least this year I can do a couple of races now yeah. um, because I'm not going to be training for X Alps, obviously. So I think, yeah, next year I can do a couple of hike and fly races, two or three, gain more experience, put myself in the mountains more, and then by the time the X pair comes around 20, 2020, I've got a lot more experience as yeah. opposed to if it was X pair again this year, I'd only probably be doing one race because it's expensive, you know? Yeah. It costs a lot of money. So, yeah. And, and t- what are you going to work on? Because I've flown with you in the past. You're a great XC pilot. Even in San Andre, you did well. Didn't have the best competition. Um, but, you know, you fly incredibly well with your cross-country. You've been an athlete for the last 16 years. You know, you're fit. Because um, for me, what, look, looking at your talk, it was clear that I don't think your flying let you down. And I wouldn't exactly say 
your overall fitness let you down but it was the stuff in between that so if, if you look at the word hike and fly you've got it you've got hike and fly <laughs> I can like, hike and I can fly exactly yeah. so you've got hiking and fly but it's the stuff in between that so like you know you messed up a little bit with your ketogenic diet um, messed up a little bit at the end with the logistics which caused you to bow out in the end unfortunately um, so what are you working on looking into that um, so I think um, first of all I realised that a hike and fly race is a sport within itself now. Yeah. As where you can't be, I don't think you can be uh, an ultra marathon guy who does a bit of paragliding and into the X pier. I don't think you can be a comp pilot who doesn't do, who goes for a jog on a Sunday and into the X pier. It's, it's a competition race within itself yeah. and that should be considered a sport, not a race within a sport. X pier should be considered a sport and X Alps should be considered a sport. Hike and fly they're not hike and fly they're adventure races you know they get tagged hike and fly races but they're not hike and fly races they're adventure races and they are I didn't realise how professional a level sport it was Um, it did take me back a little bit and realistically I've not the 16 years of of being an athlete that I have none of it carried over apart from the mental side of it where I wasn't going to quit like waking up in the morning and having to pop six blisters strap my feet get on the road and that day getting 26 miles in you know that being every footstep make my foot making a like a pain or a feeling that I don't know but carrying on walking yeah. on getting through it that side of it it helped me other than that it didn't at all my body type's completely wrong I carry a lot more muscle like I'm standing next to guys and I'm massive compared to them yeah. you know they're taller than me or they're but I'm huge compared to them yeah and I'm like fuck. I've got a lot of muscle on these guys. Yeah, it's not the right makeup for for that sort of race. Yeah. But I want to fight next year. I want to fight this year, but my back obviously went. So I want to fight next year. So realistically, next year will possibly be my last ever year fighting. If I have a really good year, I have four good wins. Then we'll see. I'm back in obviously probably top ten in the UK again. So we'll see where it goes. But um, realistically, I want to have another year of fighting next year, and then. I would have to focus solely on hike and fly yeah. then. And it would be, I think if, it, if I was doing the X-Alps, I'd want a full season in the Alps. Yeah. Full, a full season, start to finish, travelling all in the Alps in a little camper van, being where the next... Whereas, oh, Italy's nice tomorrow, but I've got a 12-hour drive, then I've got to go to Italy because it's mm. going to be nice there tomorrow. So I'll go down to the Dolomites or wherever I need to be. And I think I need to do that. And also, I need to train specifically. I can't go and do ultra marathons. I need to do hike and fly training. So I get my, I get my pack on my back, and I think right, okay. So I'm gonna go and fly today. Weather looks good here. I get up to a mountain, three, four hour hike up to a mountain. I fly, I land, I get to here, and if I got a camp out, I got a camp out. I don't really. Yeah. I don't think, for me, I don't think vol, vol biv is a good practice for hike and fly, because. The whole point of hiking flies, exerting as much energy as you can, refueling in as short a period of time as you can, then re-exerting energy. Yeah. You can't do that on a full bit because you carry as lightweight as possible. Yeah. So I think you need to be able to go fly for the day, land, get in a hotel or a restaurant, have the best meal that you can have, really refuel, get out and practice again the next day. So for me going forward now, as I said, I want to do some acro this year, really get competent on my glide. I don't... I'm not worried about my glider collapsing at any point. That doesn't ever worry me. I've done a fair bit of SIV now, but you can always be better. Always like you can always. Yeah. So I want to. I want to get better. Do I want to do an infinity tumble? It doesn't interest me. Once I've done 
six months of acro, I'm sure I'll want to do an infinity, you know. But at this point, I'm not really interested. I just want better understanding of my glider. Um, and then the other thing for that is my, my mountain flying knowledge. Yeah. You know, I didn't have enough mountain experience. Although, like you said, I don't think my, my mountain knowledge let me down yeah. in the slightest. But I had that one day where I was really dehydrated, really felt quite bad. And I was second-guessing everything I did. And I think if my mountain knowledge was better, I wouldn't second-guess. In the flats, I would have never second-guessed yeah. it. I just, oh, I feel fucking terrible. Oh, I just got to get to I know there'll be a climb over there. I head to there, head over to whatever I think, you know, like a, a field of rape or something. I yeah. know there's going to be a climb. I get a climb for that. I'm looking, there's like a, a cloud street, so I know I head that way. Yeah. That's all I'd have done. I'd have flown on autopilot. I need to be able to do that in the mountains. Yeah. So I think more mountain flying and train specifically for these adventure races. And that, that's it, really. And then I go and I approach it again and yeah. see, see how it goes. You know? But I mean, next year we've got Borns to fly and stuff, which I'm hopefully going to get into. And, and did you, you're speaking about your muscle. Do you think you'll lean down when, when once you've come out of that flying? And do you think you'll you'll drop a bit of the muscle to yeah, kind of help I'll yourself? Have to, to? I'd have to. Um, I can't like, I can't cramp and stuff like I was last time, you know. And I think when you're I mean, I was walking 10 to 15 miles a day, putting in a 25 to 30 mile a day in the weekend in training for that. Yeah. And it was hard to keep weight on. Really, really hard to keep weight on. Um, I walk around about 84 kilos. I fight at 70 kilos. I was walking around about 79 to 80 kilos when I was doing all that walking, even though I was eating, but because I don't eat carbs, so I'm just putting loads of fats in. So um, I think what will happen is when I get my diet a bit more sorted for what I need for the race... And I'm exerting the amount that I need to. If I'm not going to jujitsu and boxing and stuff through the week, and I'm doing 15 to 20 miles a day and a 50 to 60 mile on the weekend, my body's going to obviously change shape. It would have to. Yeah. I couldn't. You know, you can't pound the road with this excess muscle. Yeah. And at the moment, I need a bit more muscle maybe than what I have now, um, because of injuries that I'm carrying. I need yeah. to mask them, or I need to monitor them or manage them. So I think, yeah, my my I'll have to change the shape of my body. To, to move forward in especially on a two week race like the X Alps yeah, yeah for the X Alps I'd really have to be a, a different athlete you know yeah but again financially is the biggest thing to do. yeah and again we come back to kind of what, what we were talking about before in sponsorship and approaching companies it's going to take time you're going to have to start soon you know yeah. if the trouble is you're not, you're not going to know whether you're going to get in and you're going to have to approach companies and be like well, if, if I do get in, do you want to be a part of this? And it's going to be a long journey, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think I've been I've been really eclectic and diverse in, in the things I've taken on. Like people say, what do you not do? Yeah, and well, I, we were talking about yeah. that last night, you know. I, I, I was telling my girlfriend uh, about you, you know, so I'm hanging out with Wes tonight, you know, we're go, going up to see his talk in the lakes. And he's, I was like, yeah, Wes is a... Uh, 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 <laughs> Where's um, yeah he, he's a paraglider pilot he does podcasts he base jumps uh, keeps birds uh, uh, he works in a building firm what, what doesn't Wes do? <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so and this is my issue is that I'm I want to do everything. Even yeah. now, I'm a fucking idiot. Like, literally, I go and see A Star Is Born the other night at the cinema, <laughs> and now I want to go and, like, be a country and western singer, and I want to go yeah. and, like, I, I want to do everything. Yeah. I think it's because people think you can't do everything, yeah. and I, I'm fucking wholehearted proof that you can't. <laughs> you cannot do everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, but <laughs> I it's think... A bit, it's a bit of us, that, though, because you've... Uh, 
we, we, we went away just for the night and we had bass rigs, we had tandems, we had solo gear, we had yeah. the podcasting gear. We were like, we're going for 24 hours, but in case it's good for anything, we're prepared. We're prepared for anything. Yeah, like, we've got bass rigs with us. We're driving up and they're like, oh, well, it, might be, it might be good enough just to get a tandem and bass off the tandem. Okay. And I was like, well, if there's a crane, then I'll just jump a crane anyway. So we're driving around and like, oh, anyway, there's loads of cranes. Just... Having everything prepared for yeah. anything that happens, yeah, it's. I mean, I think I've I do spread myself too thin if I want to be a, a professional at one thing, and I think that's why my MMA career has suffered. But it's probably why I enjoyed my career so much. Yeah. I've got other friends who put everything in and they got to the UFC, but now they either don't fight or they grind on and they hated it. But as for me, I've fought all over the world. I've travelled the world with it. There's guys who've never fought outside the UK. They fought in UFC and they've still not really fought outside the UK. I've fought all over the world. And I like the fact that, you know, I'm willing to fight on a date. And I got a phone call the other day and said, listen, someone's pulled out of this fight on this date. Like two weeks time. I was like, oh, yeah, see if they'll take it. And then like, my brother's like, what? You're mad. Like, you're, you're out in training. I'm like, ah, fuck it. It's a fuck. Like, just, just willing to just take that fight. Because yeah. it's an adventure, you know? So... Yeah. When you put into that, you know, I, I like to go fishing, I like to fly birds of prey, I like to base jump, I like to skydive, I like to do... I spread myself too thin, yeah. and I certainly would say to to people, you should try everything. Yeah. And I do believe you should try everything. But if you want to achieve something, if you have a goal of achieving something, being really focused on that has its benefits, yeah, has I massive agree. benefits, you know. And, you know, I, I would say that's why I've kind of massively enjoyed my my paragliding so far is that it's it wasn't just my only thing it's been a supplement to my life you know like um looking now i'm i'm gonna do a top up degree next year at uni but i'm more nervous about leaving university because i know i'm gonna have to go and be a full-time pilot and that that's something i'm very excited for and it's gonna be something i have to do because i'm not made for a job i'm not ready for a job yet Mm -hmm. um and it's going to be something I have to do but I'm also very nervous because it's going to be so different to the way I lead my life now where I'm just full power for four or five months of the year and then I come back and I can relax and I can prepare again you know it's going to be on all the time and it is going to be slightly different whereas now this suffering I call it you know I have in the winter of studying it's a completely different like I was saying before alter ego but it also makes the time I go flying so much better Yeah. you know it's like I, I struggle with my assignments and whatever for a few months and then I go and go oh this freedom you know I get up in the morning Organia and I go and go and drop off the tandem and I come back and I train like seven hours in the Acre and then I go to a comp next week and with my friends don't have to worry yeah. about anything yet it's brilliant um, and so you know that's kind of going to be it next kind of there's transfer a, there's the saying isn't there it's like uh, never if you want to be happy never make a job out of something yeah, you love um, but I think I, I don't really believe that I think that 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 comes from the mentality of the person because if you truly love it and you make it your job you have to find a way to make it look. so I would never make falconry my job I've been offered jobs within falconry and I really love falconry. You know, it's that's probably the what. If somebody said, "Listen, everything's got to go. You can only keep one. Everything would be gone in falconry. I'd keep." Wow. Um, been falconry for twenty three years. There's something really magical about the bond I have with a bird, and also walking out in the fields, hunting, and just being out with nature. All all the elements that go with falconry are great for me. I really like it. Plus, 
birds are my only company a lot of the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. No, like, I, I've, I've seen you on Bubble. You know, <laughs> I am. So, yeah, for me, I, I think I wouldn't make Falconry my job, but I think if you can make a job and you really love to do it, you have to just understand it's a job, you know? Yeah. Like, it, you can have the greatest job in the world. There's going to be days where you, where you fucking hate it, you know? But these people who are doing nine to fives that they can't fucking stand just to pay the bills, yeah. just to make the... And it's... I'm like, you want to grab, you want to just, just take the fucking risk. You know? yeah. oh, not everyone can be like you, not everyone can... Ju- they you can, can, they can. You yeah. fucking can. It might not work out like it has for me, or you see it working out, but I've been absolutely skint yeah. on my ass. I mean, I've been working hard and tried to run the gym, and I've got my own business now, and I've scraped, and I've made it hard, and I'm not by any means successful in anything I do, yeah. but I'm happy. Like, every day I go to work, and I'm like, if something pisses me off at work, I change it, or yeah. if I don't like doing something, I get out of that situation, I find something. You can do it. Yeah. You, you can fucking do that, you know? And if you're starting your life, this way you have to just not pigeonhole yourself yeah. into this is it I'm going to work so hard to be a pilot if you want to be a professional pilot go be the professional pilot but you know you might get there and think like it's not, it's not it, not it's it. It's not yeah this it. is not fucking it and having the, the ability to see past that and think you know what I've got this degree to fall back on yeah. or you know what I want to work in the development of paragliders yeah. I want to work in the creative yeah. side of it you know like having just the the sense to say I don't know what the fuck it is that I want but I know it's more yeah. I know it's more that's the thing you know I, I always want more and I can never be sa- I get everything and then it's like a great book I love to read so I get a great book and I love it and I finish that book and the last 10 pages I'm so frustrated about this book ending like I literally don't like reading the last 10 pages so I can't wait for it to be over so I can start a new one but I think what's the new one's not as good as this one (laughs) and I'm trapped on the last 10 pages I'm trapped by the book it's you know I'm like that's my prison these last 10 pages I'm like should I just get through it today should I hold off and read them tomorrow and then you finish that book and you're like yeah it was a great fucking then you pick up the next one you start reading it and you're like yeah I'm into this book or you're like not really feeling this one as much but I still get through I make sure I get through the book but everything's a new book you know like you can put anything in your life put it down and pick up the next one and start the new book write the new chapter as cliche as fucking shit as that sounds (laughs) as cliche as it is start a new chapter start a new book pick something up don't sit and moan about the life you've got and being envious of other people do it be be a change just go and do it you know and I think at your age now you're on the right track doing the right thing you seem happy dude I'm, I'm, I'm as close to being a professional pilot as as not being a professional pilot do you know what I mean and yeah. I'm happy man like I I don't go out and I don't party and stuff like that and I, I'm so free man like I study two days a week I have money coming in I don't have to essentially go to a physical place to earn um, I can do it all from a computer do whatever I want Um I can go out, can you know, buy myself a car. I can travel. I can do what I want, and I'm just so free at the moment, which is just brilliant. Um, yeah, you know, there are times when it's excruciatingly painful, and you know, times like when we were talking about the other week, when uh, yesterday, when um, you know, I crashed my car. I'd done five broken five phones in, in the space of a month, um, and a GoPro and all this kind of stuff, and you, you know, you've got no money left and all that kind of stuff. But you get through it, man. Like, 
it's just and the then way it is. Look, when you look back at it, they're some of the best times. Yeah, you have a laugh. You're going out to lunch with a jam sandwich, thinking, "Fuck, this is what I got for dinner." Like, yeah, just whatever. However, it is they, they work. They work out to be the best times. Yeah. And there's something. As I get a bit older now, like I look back at the, when I was traveling a few years ago across America, and I was just going from base jumping spot to base jumping sh- spot, or skydiving place to skydiving place, or BJJ gym to BJJ gym across America, and just incredible like it's just I was so happy just going to bed at night with no reason to wake up in the morning waking up in the reason in the morning with no reason to go to bed on the night just not knowing and you know I was travelling in a van across America I had nothing I had the van and my base jumping gear and I had nothing per se you know like for for um, for most of America they'd look at me and see a man living in a van travelling I couldn't have been happier. Probably there's not. Happier. There's nothing you could have given me which would have made me happier in that time than traveling, waking up, going somewhere else. Like I'm going base jumping here today. I'm going to go and do this. Or you're sat there talking. You drive down the road. There's a bridge. You just pull off. Like, We're jumping it. Just go and jump it. Yeah. Or you know, I go to a skydiving place. And next minute, I'm there four weeks, and I've been packing parachutes every single day. And you're like, how oh, have I got a job? Like, what yeah. the fuck's happened? Like, and then just having the freedom. You know, and I know. I think travel should be for everybody. People, yeah. Some people don't travel, but I think travel should be for everybody. But those moments, like those moments you say at Organia, I've not been, I've not spent time with the acro guys going up and down the mountain, but I'm sure that that's what life's about, those moments, you know? Yeah, mate, there's a picture of me, right? There's a picture of me. I bought I bought myself a car this year, right? January came, um, I remember it like nothing... New Year's Day was on Plates for Less, which is a private range company. Mm-hmm. I drive, I drive a Vauxhall Insignia now with a stupid private range that says JP Six Go Fly essentially, yeah. and I look like a wanker driving it, and I know I do. It makes me happy, but it's completely vain. Anyway, I was on there and I saw this reg. I thought, God, I'll buy it. I'll buy it. And then I thought, Oh well, it's not going to go on my car, so I'll have to buy a new car. And I am pretty tight with money. I, I was a bit smart when I was younger, so I, I invested um, what I had into Bitcoin and things like that, um, which have kind of supported me when I needed to. Um, and so I thought, right, I'm going to buy a car. So I had a f- 2004 Fiesta, which you've seen outside, yeah. and then I bought this Focus, and I was like, God, I love this car. Go to Organia. First, first day on the trip, driving to Organia, I'd been working so hard at college to meet deadlines. I think I'd slept three hours in a week. I fell asleep driving from here to London and I hit the, hit the barrier on the motorway. And it's 30 miles of 50 average speed, speed, you know, and I fell asleep on the motorway, hit the barrier, oh. carry on driving. I'm like, right, got to stay awake, got to stay awake. Pull off, I'm fuming. But I've got my I've got my mum in the passenger seat who was ironically there to keep not only to keep me awake but also share the driving. Fuck. Got my best mate in the back who's sleeping all the time. But we're driving to we're driving to Spain. I'm, I know the next two days we're gonna be base jumping and me out. And I had twenty minutes of being infuriated that I'd done this. Yeah. But then like I couldn't I couldn't not be happy. You know it's something that's happened, but I'm gonna fix it. I then a few weeks later write my car off with uh, a mate of mine he was coming down the hill and I was coming up the hill and we just spank um, I nearly got off the edge of the road right in the car off but there's a quality photo where I'm holding my bumper up stood next to my car I look like I've just won like uh, some you know boxing world championship <laughs> holding it like a, a belt above my head you know and 
in reality, I crashed my car, which is probably the biggest purchase I've ever made in life and probably the you know, most I've got to me as a person. But I wasn't sad. You know, you've got insurance, you move on with these things. Yeah, and there's no material, you've lost the material. Exactly. At the end of the day, I had a paraglider in the boot, I had a base rig in the boot. I wasn't injured, I was still going to make the rest of the season work. Yeah, and exactly. That, that's the way it was going to happen. Yeah, exactly. yeah. The, that life lesson, uh, and at your age to have that life, life lesson and outlook, is worth so much. So many people, 40, I mean, I've got so many mates, 35 to 40, in relationships and stuff, and you can tell that, like, they don't only start to resent their own life, then they start to resent their misses, they resent yeah. having their kids. And it's not saying they don't love their kids, they have, but they resent it. They feel like that, that, that has stolen something yeah. from them, you know? And it's like, you, no, like you're missing the point. It's not, it's not you can't do this now because you have that. Yeah. Find a way to do the things you want with that. Yeah. That's, the, these are parts you can't change. You, you have a miss, we could change having the misses, definitely. <laughs> but you have two kids, let's say. That's never going to change. You're always going to have two kids now. If you've got this misses, don't, don't start to resent that. Find a way to make that everything that you want. Yeah. Don't don't go to work to keep living in this house that you're living in that you don't give a fuck about yeah. to have to decorate the walls decorated in a way that you could not even care. Yeah. Find a way to make that work for you. And I, I see this in relationships loads. So many people are getting married or in relationships with people who they went to school with or people nearby or like you say about dating apps people's dating apps are sent to 10 mile radiuses yeah. and stuff I'm like you you know that there's a whole fucking world out there yeah. right like, and people are like oh, I don't know I'm just not happy I don't know what I want and do it. so, so do, diff- so do yeah. something different change something I, and you know I I can't get I mean I'm very I'm speaking from a very naive point of view because I've only had one proper job in my life which I worked in accounts for three years um, and I'm speaking from a very naive point of view but I also can't get you know when like you say you go into a job you don't care about to come home to a house you don't care about that you're paying an obscene amount for when at the end of the day you're just taking those two weeks a year you're just earning this let's say obscene amount of money living in London going to a lifestyle you hate to take two weeks a year three weeks a year doing the thing you actually like Yeah. now looking at me on the other hand I'm taking my whole life to do the thing or my whole life at this moment in time to do the thing I want to do all the time. Yeah. And you just become out so much happier. I don't but know you'll be the people. one who, who society looks down on. You'll be the one who yeah, thinks that. Exactly. Or they'll leave, or it, that's derogatory to say actually. They might not look down. People might look, look and envy you and it's like, don't, don't envy. You can do this. It's not, I'm not doing, just take the risk. Like it's e- the people say, oh, it's easy for you though. You're young. You've got no kids and stuff. And people say to me, oh, well, your daughter's 17 now you're, you're, and you're not married. You can do what you want. I'm like, no, but so can you. Yeah. So can you. You can do it all. When we were in America, my dad, my dad and I were talking and my dad's like, oh, I'd love to just do this. Just do something like this. You know, I went to America for nine days, stayed a year. So my dad came over for two weeks with me and he traveled with me in the van. He's like, I'd love to do this. Like, just be able to... I was like, what is it that you want to do? Like, you're 53, I think it was. So I was like, what is it that you want to do with your life? What He's like, I just want more time to play golf. I want to work less and I want to do some gardening. I was like, you could do all that tomorrow. He's like, no, I can't. He thought, I thought, I can, I, right now, I'll come up with a way right now that you could live that life tomorrow. Yeah. He's like, how? I was like, we've got four houses, right? So you're going to sell all your houses... And you're going to buy... The house that you live in has got five bedrooms, two bathrooms, a massive kitchen diner. Sell it. Get a two-bedroom house, two-bedroom terrace house with a bit of a garden in it. 
I said, he said, oh, but what about the kids come around to say the grandkids? I'm like, they go on in the front room on the floor and yeah. they can sleep in the spare bedroom. Like we used to when we were younger. Yeah. My my grandparents never had a five bedroom house. That's how you make it work. I was like, however, you now have got a house that's worth 170 to 250 grand instead of one that's worth 500 grand with five bedrooms that are never used. You've got houses with half the amount of money. You've sold your other three properties, so you've probably got enough to last you the next 10 years if you're sensible. Yeah. Now you can do what the fuck you like. Go play golf whenever you want. Yeah. Do a little bit of work on the side. Find a part-time job that suits you or something. Yeah. You can have the life you want, but you have to change the lifestyle. Yeah. And this is the thing. He's like, oh, well, yeah. Oh. All, that's all. I'm like, so all you want to do is, like, yeah, like, well, then do it. Because if you say to me now, you can come up with an excuse all you want out of life is not more golf, more time and gardening. Yeah. You're lying to yourself about yeah. what is it you yeah. want, you know? You also want fancy cars, yeah, meals exactly. out with your mates, nice suits. And if that is what you want, you have to go work. Is that simple? And don't complain. You know and yeah, I mean? don't, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Don't lie to yourself about what it is that you want. Because yeah, at the end of the day, just complain and will depress you, you know? And yeah. Oh, I hate the word depression, to be honest. I hate, I hate how overused it is, but it'll get you down. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's... I, that's why I was so lucky you know my dad never worked for anyone well he worked for his dad when he was younger but then had a company and you know my mum worked for that later on and they've been so free my dad never worked for anyone he didn't want to work for him did what he wanted you know and it kind of inspired a lifestyle that I wanted to lead and they didn't really push me into an avenue that I didn't want to go down or I was very kind of stubborn anyway, you know, I was an absolute tyrant as a kid. I set someone's house on fire, I, you know, I've, um, I burnt someone's wow. house down. I used to kick people when I was younger. <laughs> I, I, Just randomly kick people? I, mate, I used to steal people's, um, steal things from shops when I was four, because, you know, because of my leg. And yeah, I, yeah. Um, for people that are listening, I, I've got a bit of an issue with my leg. I had a, a talipe's foot, so I've had many operations on it and all this kind of stuff. So I was still in a wheelchair, a wheelchair, a pram by the time I was, four or five years old so I'd go into New Look and I'd be like mum I want that watch and she'd be like no I'm not getting it for you you're a kid why do you want a watch for and I'd be like alright then and then I'd steal five of them and hide them in the pram and then we'd, go, we'd leave and so I'd this is where you made your money <laughs> so then we'd leave and obviously it'd be the second time third time I've done it so like you can't keep blaming it on the kid. Why, why, why are you stealing for Miss Bigney? They're like, what, you know, what are you doing? It's like, I'm not stealing, it's the kid. Like, yeah, right, yeah, whatever. <laughs> so I did that. Um, I did stuff like, um, you know, I, I was making flamethrowers and stuff in the in the back one time, in the garden. I was making a flamethrower. And my mum said, if you don't stop, I'm going to call your dad. I said, go on then. He's got to come in from work. He'll be angry. And she's like, all right, then I will. So as she's dialing it on the old landline, I cut the telephone wire. <laughs> Mate, I was a tyrant. It was only till I found paragliding really like at twelve that I was I started to like you know, be okay. Um but yeah that's kind of how I was brought up to be free and I, I was stubborn and stuff like that and I kind of found found the lifestyle I wanted to lead. Which is uh, like the way that you were brought up is obviously a massive yeah. massively got to do with, with and, what you've done. You know, the you know, the flosser Alan Watts and stuff like yeah. that is a famous piece that, that's on YouTube and stuff that I listen to. Um quite often is it what if yeah yeah what, if, what yeah. if and yeah there's a piece where it's like you know um the society we now live in is essentially all wretch and no vomit you know we we grow up ourselves taught to go to university to get a good job buy a house have a wife and have kids when you're then thinking god i'd love to go and skydive paraglide do whatever it is that makes you happy but then you have your kids 
and you tell them to go to university, get a good job, have a wife and the kids, and get a house, you know? Yeah. And although, yeah, you can get to 50 years of age and go, God, thank God for that, I've paid off my mortgage, I'm comfortable, whatever. But you're still going to sit there, you know, when maybe you can't do it. It's, maybe it's 60 or it's 70, you've developed something that stops you from now going out and to be able to base jump or do yeah, whatever. Yeah, exactly. And you've kind of missed out on on what you wanted to do, but then you've taught your kids to do the same. Uh, and the, the thing is as well, if you're, if you're raising kids who are dependent on your money... You're raising fucking idiots for a start. And also, if you're raising kids who... So if I was dependent on my dad's money, my dad's 55, yeah. I'm 35. So if my dad goes on till he's 70 now, so we've got another like 15 years or whatever, I'm 50. Yeah. Like, what? If do I, I need my dad to... At 50, I'm thinking, fucking hell, I'm thinking, <laughs> I failed. If at 50, I need my dad to die for me to have the life that I want... <laughs> I fucking failed already. You, like, not only have you failed in your life because you've held yourself back from doing the things that you wanted to do so that I would do the things that you think that you want to do. Yeah. Now, I'm not doing them and I'm waiting for your money. We've both failures now. Like, what the fuck? This perpetual cycle yeah. of, like, you need... People tell you, you need to settle down, you need to do this, you need to, Well, the whole time thinking... I wish I was more free and I miss it. And then the social outcast of being more free and yeah. doing things and then getting called a hippie or then getting yeah. said like being called a bum, getting called lazy, like you know It's I, so hard to you know essentially do the right thing. Um, but the reason that that's it's the right there is yeah, no right exactly, thing. Yeah. The right thing is to do what you want, what makes you happy. Yeah. The judgment, the social judgment is the 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 issue. Yeah. Your parents telling you you need to knock her down at school is the issue. Our curriculum system, our schooling system Terrible. is the fucking issue. Yeah. You know, government is the issue. We need to break away from this cycle which we're all getting drawn deeper and deeper into. And even myself now, I find myself saying stuff as a parent to a 17-year-old daughter. Yeah. I find myself saying stuff and I'm like, it almost makes me sick when yeah. I'm saying it. Like, I say to her, like, right, come on, just you've been at your job a year, another year, knuckle down, get through this. And I'm, she should do, she's doing... But that's only because of what she's doing. If she was working in the office, I'd tell her to bin it the second she was unhappy. <laughs> but because she's doing something creative and a stylist, the moment she's a qualified stylist, she could go anywhere in the world and take it with her. Yeah. She can take scissors with her and she can be a stylist anywhere. Yeah. If she was working as a data input, I'd be like, ah, be in your fucking job. <laughs> go do something that makes you happy, you know? I would yeah. never tell my daughter to stick with something like that. And the the this cycle that we keep... like perpetuating over and over through the generations is ridiculous like absolutely today was it remembrance sunday we're stood around and people are going to remember the people who fought for our freedom and i'm like where's your freedom like what yeah what freedom you're getting them at seven o'clock at night on public transport like on saturday and sunday you're spending a bit of time with your kids getting in and getting ready for something for monday yeah. morning again like where's this freedom that people have been fighting for yeah you know i just think that it has to, at some point, it has to stop you. We have to realise that, hang on a minute, we're on this earth for, for that. Yeah. It's over. You know, 80 years, if the maximum, 80 years. Of those 80, let's say 60 of them are good. You're going to have 20 years of shit, really, if you live to 80. Do you know what I mean, there's going to be a big portion of it that's going to be bad. So, 60 good years on this earth, like, of those 60 years, let's fucking do something. Let's do something that's fun. Let's, you know, like, stop saying about the things that you wish you'd done. I can't hear people talk about what they wish they'd done. No. Do it. Do it. Like, it. It evokes 
strong, passionate feelings. Like I really want to just grab people and say, fucking do it. <laughs> what are you not getting? You are going to die yeah. wishing you'd done things. Yeah. Don't do that. Like, it's not... And this might be fucking ignorant because I might be the one who's let on my death. I said, I wish I'd knuckled down and did one thing. <laughs> I doubt it. When I'm yeah. led on my deathbed or I'm sat with my grandchildren on my knee and I'm like, Granddad, what were you doing when you were 18? Or what were you doing when you were 20? I'm like, oh, I was base jumping. Oh, you yeah. did this, I did that. I was travelling here. Oh, I fought. There was this one time I went to Japan and did this. Oh, I remember once I had a fight with 35 gypsies because I was moving them off of the land. But all these stories yeah. and people just think you... You talk to him and tell these stories. I'm like, it might. I might not have got it right. I might not have got it right. But I haven't really spent a day doing something where I thought I can't do this anymore. Fuck, I want to do something different yeah. without then changing it. You know, and maybe I haven't got it right. Maybe it just works for me, and it's not not how it should be. But I can't see how repetitive, monotonous, mind numbing, brain deadening chores. Or what we were put yeah. to do. And, and at the end of the day, now you look back on your your career, as it were, doing whatever it is you've done, or not even just your career, but the things you've done is incredible things. Like I look up to you quite a lot because you've done so many things in your life, and it is really impressive. And you've just gone and done what you wanted to do, and you've done so many different things, and it is really quite amazing. I achieved nothing. But that's like, it's not the point at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, since I left high school, I kind of changed massively, you know, like, um, I now look back, left school at 16, been, did a BTech in en- electronic engineering, now do my HND, blah, 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 blah. Um, but I look back at the last five years, at the best five years of my life, because all I've done is absolutely what I wanted to do. I took plane rides, I've, I've slept on airport floors, I've slept on streets of yeah. you know I've gone and I've done the most amazing things that almost not many 18 19 20 year olds get to do yeah. you know I, I jump out of helicopters at the weekend just to perform for 120,000 people you know the Cooper car and stuff like that yeah. like what other 20 year olds get to do that you know and not not every 20 year old would want to do well, that exactly. but that's just an expression of freedom and doing something you love. Yeah. So you're not saying this is what every 20 year old... No, but every 20 year old should get a chance to do... To jump out of their helicopter, you know? Yeah. If the metaphor is jumping out of the helicopter, everyone should get a chance to jump out of their helicopter. Yeah. You know, you can't... I don't believe you should be stuck in a classroom incurring debt doing something that only pleases people around yeah. you that you're never going to use. You know, find your helicopter and jump out of it on a weekend. Everybody should be doing that. And people can say, like, I appreciate what you just said there, like, um, looking up to me and stuff. I thought it was just because you were so short. <laughs> yeah, you're shorter than me. <laughs> no, I'm not. Oh, yes, you are, mate. Yeah, not even on your good leg am I shorter than you. I'm not shorter than you. So, uh, no, I really, I really do appreciate that because it's from someone who it means something. It's not from somebody who works in an yeah. office saying, like, yeah. and it means something to me if anybody says it but for yourself it does mean a lot um but yeah for, for you to, i completely lost my train of thought then <laughs> um tried to wing it out but no i've completely lost it now um yeah so people say to me like oh yeah but yeah you've done all these things but you haven't achieved anything i'm like but what if i've achieved everything like yeah but you haven't achieved anything i'm like but what if i've achieved everything yeah what 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 was the goal i don't where what where's the timeline of stuff that you have to hit before you die what's that last 
Well, there's not one. So what have I not achieved? Like how how can you achieve anything if there's nothing to be achieved? Like we're we're if we both strip ourselves naked right now and just stand there to the end of our lives, we're gonna die exactly the same way. Yeah. Exactly. What if? So but you're saying at, at the end of the day, you do strip yourself and go to the grave anyway. Go escape, be scratched, whatever. Yeah. There's no difference. All right, you, if you get buried in a cardboard box or a mahogany coffin you know it's all the same at the end of the day you just put a piece of dirt in the ground essentially yeah yeah so what what when you're saying i've achieved nothing but what if i've achieved everything what if i've achieved everything because when i do something i want to get the maximum enjoyment out of it it's got to be fun it's got to be excited. okay winning an mma fight is amazing losing an mma fight is shit but at the end of the day the mma fight was the great bit i trained for the mma fight i didn't train for the win or the lose because it's that it's I might as well have not trained. Yeah. I might as well have trained as hard as I did because I've trained as hard and I know I'm as fit, as strong, as healthy, as technically good as, as UFC guys. I've trained alongside them for fights, so I know my level. Now, I might as well have not trained then because if we're training for an outcome, if I train that hard and I lose, I might as well have not train then. That's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the MMA fight that's the important bit. The, that's true. The, the outcome's not important. It's only important... If you want to hold a belt or if you want to look at your record and say, I did this, this and this. The MMA fight's the important bit. The outcome's irrelevant. If you love what you do and you love the sport, the fight has to be the uh, bit. That, that that rings true with or brings a lot of stuff home because for years or I only... So, well, I mumbled a lot there. Um, <laughs> so I've been flying now five years and I only did my first acro comp season this year and after flying that crew for three to four years now it's you know a long time before i started competing even though i was at a level where i can compete and that's because i was worried that putting a label on it or you know going to a competition and doing poorly was gonna change my outlook on it and i just want to enjoy it but now i've done the competitions and yeah i've had a successful season in my books i could have done better and i would have liked to have done better um for me it's not about the the two weeks I spent or six weeks I spent competing this year. It was about the last three years. I've done so many things. I've trained my guts out, and I'm at a level where I can I can literally pick up an acro glider tomorrow, and I know I can fly reasonably well, pretty well at almost the same standard I flew in the summer. Um, and that's why when I was in Turkey the last few weeks, I didn't train that much because I'm not going to get to train till next summer properly. And I just did jump, uh, just base jumps, and it really just is all about that enjoyment. And you know, yeah. it, it it's not about the outcome. It's not about me going to win. I have gone to competitions now to kind of improve my kind of status, as it were. But really, it's just the enjoyment of of everything. You know, it's yeah. it's it's that fleeting glimpse of of life that we get to enjoy you know yeah because i mean so eddie eddie hall the strong man do you know eddie, who eddie yeah, hall yeah. is so eddie hall wanted to be world's strongest man and he's like if i win it i'm never doing it again that's it i'm gonna win world's strongest man that's it so he won world's strongest man last year he's retired from strongman don't do strongman anymore now i perfectly get what he's saying he's you only want to win it once. Once, one once. That's it. I don't want to put my body through this, put my family through this, all the heartache that it takes to get there. I don't want to keep putting them through this to achieve the thing that I already wanted to achieve. But at the same time, I think once you've achieved it, 
and you, you've got that. It's amazing. You achieve the one thing that you want to do, but then the next year... Where do you go, yeah. But the next year, and you're not achieving it, are you also are now, are you less of what you were? Yeah. Well, no. Well, no, because I already, I already won it. Okay, so the year before, you were less than what you were before. Well, yeah, because I didn't achieve it. I'm like, so, so what's changed? The fact that you beat these two other guys and you've got this trophy makes you so much of a different person, the guy before and the guy after. Yeah. You're you. You're still you. It makes no difference. You had that one year where you did that thing and everything came together and that was brilliant. You got this and you achieved that. Yeah. Now you're moving on to something else and you'll have to find something else to achieve. No, you're always achieving. Yeah. You're always fucking achieving. You have to strive and tr- as a professional athlete, you have to strive and get better and that's my goal, that's my target, I'm going to focus on it. But you have to bear in mind that, listen, it's not It's not always the outcome that's the achievement, yeah. you know? the What I've done with my life, where I take myself. And this is more aimed at people who aren't athletes. Yeah. You know, this is more aimed at life in the, in the fact of you're always an achiever. Yeah. Like, being stuck doing something you hate just because financially you're secure and it fits in with what you did your degree with does not make you more or less of an achiever than the guy who's done fuck all his life and travel around in a bus and smiles over it. Everyone's yeah. achieving. There's no accomplishment. There's n- nobody's getting out of this with the gold medal, you know? Yeah. So just and fucking it, enjoy it. it. It took me a while to realise that within myself, you know, because when I started uh, with Ozone... I started with those and I trained, changed the tricks that I'd been flying at for about a year. Um, and I didn't have the best time. I was struggling because I changed from an, um, a, an acro glider from AG. I moved to Rose and I was struggling. And I didn't want to put videos out. Like I was filming it, but I wasn't flying as well as I used to. And it was taking me a while. And I was trying to fly at the level I used to. I was trying new tricks and everything. And it was really getting me down. Like, and it took me a while before I started to realise that why am I putting these videos out there? Like, why am I taking a GoPro on my knee, a GoPro on my head to film and get the satisfaction from everyone else when the satisfaction should actually come from within myself and going out and having the best time training, you yeah. know? And I went out and trained in Chamonix for nearly a month and I got out of bed, I was broken, I was doing 15 runs a day on the cable car, which is a bloody slog. You get up at 8 in the morning, you don't finish till 5 or 6, and it's a slog to do 15, 16 runs. And you're going and going, it's bloody cold. And I was completely kind of like, not washed out, but I was tired, I was so done with yeah. it. I got home and I think I spoke to you and I was like, what psychology books do I need to read? Because I was, I was kind of at a place where I just didn't really understand too much. I read... Um, Oh, uh, the ma- is it the champion's mind? Mind of a champion. Ma- is it mind of a champion? No, it's not that. Uh, I've got it upstairs somewhere anyway. I can't remember. It's something similar like that. It's a black cover, white writing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, champion's mind. I think it's called. It's got, it's got a bloke on the front cover as well. Yeah. Yeah. In a, on a bike yeah. or something. Might be a champion. Yeah. Jim F. Ephraimal. Yeah. Yeah. So I read that book and it completely changed my mindset, you know, and I headed out to El Hierro the next month, I think it was middle of January. I took everything back to basics, threw away my GoPro essentially, didn't touch it for weeks. Um, literally had a speaker in my pocket um, and I just went out on train. I went back to basics and I came out at the end of two weeks and I was like, oh, I love flying again. Like, yeah. I'm flying it. All right, I'm not flying it probably a good, uh, as good as I was last summer, but I'm flying. I'm so happy with my flying. Um, and yeah it, you know sometimes you have to just kind of stop flying for other people and fly for yourself and that can be so hard especially when you've got to try and market yourself to 
you know, to show how how good you are to other people, essentially. Yeah, but then you, you need to relieve the pressure from yourself at some point. Yeah. And you need to say, because fighting is the same, you end up fighting because you don't want to lose in front of people. Yeah. You want to show people I'm the hardest or I'm the best or I'm this. And uh, But eventually you have to just cut that back and you have to just say, like, this, this is why I'm doing it. I'm doing yeah, it. it the, the moment when you've got the chain on just as you fucking take off yeah. and you take off and you're gliding out to the box or whatever, you're like, Oh, and just you're, it's just you you're in your vibe yeah. and it's like I don't give a fuck if it don't go right exactly. so I'll do it again in a minute yeah. and you go you have the fucking run of your life boom I'm back on it you know yeah, exactly. and it doesn't matter if the next four are shit then because yeah. and, I mean I'm I've got like an obsessive competitive nature so when something goes wrong I'm like well I'm fucking back out there that's it I'm gone again right, exactly boom, and I'm joking, and I'm, oh, that's it, I'm fucking back out there I'm gone again boom. but that's self motivation and drive that's not because yeah. I'm wanting to achieve something to prove to people I can do it I've got to do this, I've got, I've got to get back in and I've got to do this. Yeah. And it's the same with everything I do. It's a case of beating myself than it yeah. more so than it is beating anybody. And I'm not trying to achieve anything or tick a box. As soon as I can't do that, no, fuck, I've got to be able to do that now. So yeah. I'm chasing it just to get it, just to do it, you know? And then once I've done it, I have to do it again and again and again. Yeah, that's just a, an obsessive compulsive yeah. thing. But so getting back to your acro, you had a good comp, but for people, and even myself really, they might not really understand the acro scene and how scoring works, how the runs work. Yeah. What what does like an acro competition entail? So you have um, you'll get there on say a Thursday. You'll have a practice run. You'll sign up, and basically what you do is you have a list of manoeuvres um, of varying difficulties, and then you compile that within your run. Um, you know they could be twisted reverse tricks, which is where you start the trick in one direction and reverse it to the other side. Um, and then you have your landing, which is essentially a multiplier. Now, the way I compare it uh, to another sport is gymnastics, something like the pommel or the, um, the double bars, and you've got everything where you can set your, your routine, you do your routine, and then it's all about the dismount, essentially. Um, and that's what it's like. So you'll go out, you'll do three runs or four How long's runs. a run? A run can be in somewhere like Sancho in Switzerland it'll be maybe six tricks so it's done on I guess because you're you're def, you're you're sort of you've only got the height the height defines yes. how much yeah. time you can have so they can't say you've got the two minute run because you don't no. know no, no, so no. yeah you've got the height and so you have to do X amount of tricks and you have to declare what your run is or it can just be anything within that list and get as many of them as you can exactly that yeah okay. so you'll what you'll do is you'll plan your run because what you'll want to do is You'll have one runs one, two, and three, perhaps a fourth run, depending on weather and leaderboard and all that kind of stuff. And you'll kind of put your hardest run first and then and so on. Um, because what you'll want to do is you'll want to get easier as you go through your runs so that you can put your best runs first, basically, and you'll get the points and all that kind of stuff. Um, and you'll come out of the box, let's say, with 800 metres. You'll do your hardest tricks first. Um, try and match up how they look with kind of choreography because that's a big kind of bonus and make sure it's got a lot of flow and you don't pause a lot between the tricks and then also you've got a lot of positioning so you've got the drift from when you start the trick yeah. and then depending on how strong the wind is you might have to be at a 45 degree angle to the raft so by the time you finish your tricks at 100 metres you can attack straight to the raft and make a spiral landing make a spiral landing you put your wingtip touch on the water um, do a foot drag and then you do a spin onto the raft if you do that um, then your, your run which can be an average run 
and you could have made plenty of mistakes going to put you in the top five the yeah. top three even and you know you'll see it all the time so you you score your points for your run but then the raft if you don't land on the raft you still get the points for your run but no multiplier yeah kind of like that it's it no one really knows the system too well but all you can say is that it's really weighted to the landing and what the thing is is that the thing you've got to remember is that the landing is what the judges will remember because it's the last thing they see so they'll go oh yeah but he did that amazing landing and he span onto the raft and the crowd cheered because at the end of the day the crowd that's there which is actually a big subconscious factor for the judges uh, the crowd that's there will not really tell the difference between a good Mac twist or a bad Mac twist or, uh, connecting that to heli or whatever trick you're looking at but then if they do a crazy spiral landing get the biggest tip wingtip touching the water they drag their feet water's going everywhere yeah. and they do a big like spin landing going at 30 k's an hour from 10 foot or something like that and, he, and then he jumps up screams and the crowd goes wow they're going bloody hell that was a good run the yeah, crowd yeah, of course. Yeah. and even in Sancho now they have like a clapometer essentially and um, that can even sway the judge's opinion as well crazy so it's it's a really difficult one now I I'm more acro based than XC now especially going into next season but I prefer cross country comps than acro comps and that is only for the fact that acro is subjective and I find that really hard personally yeah. I want to know definitively whether I've won whether I've lost I like the fact that if I go in into goal in second third 67th place that is where I've came like at the yeah. end of the day lead out points make it a little bit difficult and mm-hmm. slightly different but at the end of it, it's an algorithm it's faultless and that's that judges make mistakes judges corrupt like, corrupt yeah. not not necessarily on purpose now I know the know the guys that judge really well you got the um, the organiser Claudio amazing guy um, and a couple of the others I'm not necessarily saying that uh, they're bad people but they're just subjective and they're open to uh corruption basically yep. subconsciously yeah you know? i mean it's not not even corruption is the wrong word I'm yeah i'm trying to think uh they're like they they're they're aligned with certain brands or they you know if you yes yeah, if you fly ozone a lot just you're not paid to fly ozone but you fly ozone you like ozone gliders and a guy comes on does really well on ozone subconsciously yeah, be, yeah that, that glider is brilliant that was really or, good or or even down to the fact of like you know um, I'm not going to name names but oh yeah um, X came to dinner with us last night he was a great laugh wasn't he yeah. and you know we're, we're all friends it's not like kind of another sport it's so big where we all go to our individual places we all hang out together mm-hmm. the competitors the judges and all that so if you make kind of a bad name for yourself or you you do something poorly then it does reflect in your score I believe mm-hmm. um, because they kind of take everything to account I think subconsciously Yep. So, uh, on the circuit, how would you fare age-wise? How would I fare age-wise? I am the second youngest, I believe. Yeah. Second. So, we've just got a new kid on the scene. I, w- I would have been the youngest, but we've got Luke now, Luke DeWert from Holland. Brilliant kid. I've known him going on three years now. Um, but I think he's a year younger than me and he's flying brilliantly. Yeah. So, he's the youngest on the scene. Um, and then it's me. And then there's a bit, bit of an age jump. And where do you where have you placed yourself now uh, in world rankings at the end of this 
competition, the end of this competition year? So I set my start going into the season uh, because I was flying so well. I kind of knew I belonged in the top ten, and yeah. I wanted to be in the top ten, pushing for top eight if I could. Uh, I didn't. I underestimated how much the landings took into account and how hard they were. Mm-hmm. Um, I was saying to you last night that over the four competitions I'd done, um, I only got one landing perfect, which is wingtip touch, foot drag on the raft. And that was over probably, you're talking 12 to 14 runs, um, which had a big effect on it. But I still, I finished 11th in my first comp, uh, uh, 9th in my second, and then seventh in the world finals. So with a bit, because world rankings are a little bit behind. Yeah. The, it's kind of like um, any other sport basically, but you can still have people within the top 10 if they've not competed for two years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, that puts me in the top 12, I think, world ranking wise, but I finished seventh in the world final this year. In probably your your strongest competition year. Yeah. This year's been your strongest competition year, yeah. right? You haven't... Uh... Well, it's my first, my first acro comp year. There you go. So yeah. that's a great, it's great. Uh, yeah, it's a, a great season. Yeah. Straight away, it's uh, it's it's weird because you see from a outsider's point of view who doesn't really follow acro, you see people you know tumbles and like doing hell helis and stuff like that, and you see it and it's all really cool and rad and it's like yeah, it's yeah. fast and it's but to not know how that score and what works out neat, what looks, I think that's the bit that needs to be broken down because even from a paragliding pilot's point of view you're a bit like was that a really good heli or yeah. like what would constitute like a good infinity tumble if you get like a wingtip tuck or stuff with that so infinity tumble is a bit bit different because they all can all pretty much look the same but say something like a mac twister heli yeah. which is um, um, a spin horizontally going very fast um, and then it connects to helicopter It'd be, is the Mac twist fully open? Is there no deflations? Did it quickly connect to heli? You know, what kind of um, speed did he take into it? That kind of thing. Was it a bit of finesse? Did he, did he take a left spiral and then Mac twist to the right? That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Body position have any input on it or not? With the way you're sat in your, do they look at like how you are in your harness? No, how stable no. you are? Anything like that? No. No. Um, but yeah, I, I do completely agree. And I, I think a lot of that is because a lot of this, um, I don't know how to describe it, but people are unsure of how it works because it's not relative. You just see it in the air. Yeah. And whereas if it was along the ground, you'd be like, oh, bloody hell, that's insane or whatever. Yeah. Um, and that's what makes the sport so kind of easy to alienate. And also was a bit of a driving factor into me competing. Not only because I wanted to compete for myself, but also I wanted to compete and kind of a makes me a bit more marketable but also people can go oh yeah jack's whatever ranking in the world um over a guy that just trains at the weekend you know because some people can't distinguish a guy that trains at the weekend and you know lives in austria or wherever and gets cable car runs or someone that lives for the sport you know yeah and and trains every week um because with mma if you, you put two guys in a ring or in a cage, sorry, one guy that trains every now and again and one guy that lives sports professionally is going to get handled. You're going to see it. You're, You're going to see it. You can't, yeah. you, you can't distinguish that so easily in paragliding. Yeah. So um, that's why it, it was one of my driving factors was to kind of prove to everyone else, you know, what kind of my level is. Yeah. So how, what, how do you think 
Do you think there's much evolution left in Acro, trick-wise, or do you think we're there? Um, I wouldn't say we're there, no. I mean, things are becoming a lot easier. Um, Glider design has improved how easy it is to fly Acro tremendously. We have um, tricks that were kind of like godlike tricks and still are quite godlike. Uh, called Misty Tumbling and stuff like that, which back in the day when I was kind of watching YouTube videos and stuff like that, people were having like lots of accidents, people wouldn't try and stuff like that. And then with improved glider design now, you know, I, I, I did Misty Tumbling this year, I kind of used it in competition, and you know, more and more people are doing it, you know, because basically the safety's improving. So with that in mind, the fact that the gliders can not only perform these tricks which were performed a few years ago but they're performing them um, more successfully I think there's still more things to do Yeah. the, the evolution now is going to come in not so much the way we do the tricks but kind of um, staying twisted so for example doing infinity tumbling twisted but then stall exit twisted so you keep that and then you can go straight into another trick and all that kind of stuff and adding twists where it's a bit harder to add twists basically it's a really complex sport and it's I think it's perhaps too complex for its age if that makes sense mm-hmm. if it has so sports evolving quicker than people are viewing the sport or people are understanding the that's sport. it yeah. yeah now I think if now you look at kitesurfing and the big following it has if then the tricks now start to get really complex just like Acker I think it'd be taken to a lot better yeah I mean, I've not, I've never watched any kite surfing ever. It's not really my, not really my thing, I guess. Um, but obviously, I've watched quite a lot of acro, uh, and it for me, I watch it, and it was very much. I don't understand. Yeah. What's, yeah. What's, what's going to be good looking here? What are they judging for? Yeah. What's good? What's bad? I understood you had to make it on the raft, so I understand that. Well, he's not made it on the raft. He's not going to score as highly. But I didn't know. How that worked, whether it was just, you know, three points for being on the raft or whether it's an accumulator or what, how so, it works. Yeah, so I probably didn't explain that too well. So, for example, a joker, which is kind of a rapid tumbling where you stop it and then go to the helicopter, mm-hmm. uh, that's worth 2.1 points. Uh, but then if you do that twisted, you get a bonus of, say, I think it's 10%. And then if you do that twisted and reversed, you get another bonus of 10%. So that trick that was originally um, 2.1 can become 2.4, 2.5. Yeah. And then that's just one trick in your whole run, basically. Yeah. And how many tricks are you trying to get into one run? Between six kind of big ones, I'd say. Six kind of big yeah. ones. So that might, like a classic one for me would be Twisted Infinity Tumbling, Stop That, Twisted Joker Reverse, um, into maybe like Twisted um, Heli to Sat to Twisted Mac Twist Reverse to now getting into the lower stuff so you kind of just want to squeeze in as many little tricks as possible so you do misty heli and then misty reverse on the opposite opposite side um dynamic stall that kind of thing yeah and then foot drag spin spin on the landing all the crap i'm really bad at so (laughs) um, that'll come that's now you've got something to focus on your tricks are there um, listen, dude, we've been at it this like two hours or so now. You're joking. No, it flies by, right? What? Yeah, it's, look, it flies by. What time is it? Um, quarter to two. You, oh no, I swear it's flying by. <laughs> no um, one's going to listen to that. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> Who cares if they listen? We've put it out there. That's the main thing. Listen, thanks for thanks for doing this. I feel like we could carry on talking for hours, yeah, but obviously yeah. I've got to drive home and stuff. And it, like, I think we've we've covered loads. It's been great sitting there talking. Shit is 
it's taken this long, but then again, we've had loads to talk about. Yeah, so we are. That's it's one good thing. Um, thanks for joining me. Do you want to thank any sponsors or anything? Or um, tell people where you can watch that Tumbles and shit. Where can people watch that? Oh, yeah. Um, so you can watch Tumbles and shit on my Facebook, which is Jack Pimblet. And you can also find it on Vimeo's Tumbles and shit. Um, but hopefully there's loads more to come. I'm going to be doing a YouTube series, I think, next year, which will be tumbles and, more Tumbles and shit which will kind of be more vlog style, I think. Um, not quite sure if that's concrete yet. Going into summer, I'm going to compete a lot more in acro, probably going to drop out with my XC because I've got to focus a bit better now. Um, and yeah, going to explore some new stuff with acro and bass, actually. Nice. Kind of do a little bit of like cutting away, mid-infinity tumbling, that kind of thing. Wicked. So uh, Instagram? Instagram, Jack Pimblet. And Facebook, Jack Pimblet. Yeah. Nice. Well, if you again, can, if, if people listening can spell that, it's P I M B L E double T. I mean, a lot of people spell it Rumblet, Pim, Pimlet. <laughs> You'll have a, not you'll have competition. The, um, have I had my name spelled right? <laughs> It'll be linked in the picture for this and stuff. So Excellent. when you find this, if you find this and you're listening and you didn't know Jack, it'll be easy to find and track. So yeah, thank you again, Jack, thank you so much. and uh, we'll catch up soon. Brilliant.